0: Block Talk Radio.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Uh, tonight we have another show in our continuing series of uh, reading the book by Jacques Fresco, "The Best That Money Can't Buy." Um, we are now on to chapter thirteen. Uh, we generally read two chapters a show. Sometimes the chapters are a little smaller, uh, so we end up reading more than that. I haven't had any that have made us read less than that so far, but I don't discount the possibility. Um, tonight, I have a pretty much entirely uh, Irish panel, um, so uh, each of you can introduce yourselves. Jem, um, uh, let's start with you.
0: Hi, yeah, my name's Jemma from the, uh, the Irish chapter. Pleased to be here. V. Very...
1: Good. Uh, James?
2: Good afternoon. Thanks for having us, be. My name is James. Um, same again. I'm from the Irish chapter.
1: And finally, Shane. Hi, V. Thanks for having us on.
3: Shane from the Irish chapter.
1: Well, um, one of the things I usually do when I bring on new panelists is um, I ask them, uh, you know, how did you discover the Zeitgeist Movement? You know, uh, who introduced you? How did it all get started? So... Um just because there's no no particular reason that they're in this order other than the fact that you guys happen to be in my chat that's you know in this order. I'm gonna start again with Jem. Tell us about what happened to get you involved in the Zeitgeist movement.
0: Yeah, no worries. Um well basically there's a um there's a channel called uh, Controversial TV. Um it's a kind of local um uh, T V program and I, I tuned into that. It's not got, you know, big ratings or anything. And um, they showed the first geist and then the second one. And after the second one, I was, I was straight onto the main site. So that's, that's where I found out about the movement.
1: Excellent. Well, it's good that uh, um, actually you can have a local channel that does something like that. Um, now, uh, moving on to uh, our next panelist, that would be James. Uh, tell us about what got you into Zeitgeist.
2: Well, um, me being the youngest of the uh, of your panelists tonight, actually, I'm I'm kind of of the generation that have uh, gotten into these things actually fairly early on. Actually, my 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 awakening, as it were, would have probably been around about the um, the nine eleven mark. Um, oddly enough, actually, I've heard a lot of interviews from Peter Jokes saying that was actually one of the the defining moments for his his involvement in this. Um, it would have been nine eleven. It would have been kind of researching videos on YouTube, and um, lo and behold, I happened across this at one stage, and and really, really liked what I heard about it. Basically, um, the the second film was just a, a catalyzing moment, really, in terms of what I, what I thought I wanted to do, um, not only with my spare time, but with every every ounce of kind of passion and inspiration I had for improving things. So, uh, yeah, that's more or less it.
1: Okay, that brings us to Shane. Tell us about your Guys, like, you know, basically what got you involved.
3: Yeah, it would be very similar to James in that respect, Neil. Um, the 9-11, I'd, I'd seen loose change, and that kind of got me kind of looking outside the mainstream media. Um, basically, yeah, I started looking outside the mainstream media. And then I came across Zeitgeist 1, and I always had interest in, in uh, religion. I, I was interested in 9-11 obviously it was and then the banking part was the part that hit me because that's something I knew nothing about I'd never heard it before it was completely new but um, to be honest I you know it was a it was a documentary I didn't particularly get into at that point but then a friend actually gave me a copy of Addendum and what hit me with that is it wasn't just pointing out problems it was there it was talking about the solutions and even when I first seen the Venus Project on Addendum it, you know I wasn't 100%, you know, obviously convinced, but then I started reading more, and that's how we you know, went the Venus Project website, and that's just been on since then.
1: Well, excellent. Um, I'm trying to get my blog, talk, radio, chat room working, and um, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be working. So, if any of my listeners are commenting there, uh, and I haven't answered you yet, oh, it looks like I finally got it working. Yay! Okay. Hello, everyone. Um I'm also simulcasting this onto Zeitgeist TV. If any of my listeners there could please let me know how it sounds over there. Um I'd really appreciate it. Um bearing that in mind, um we are going to be reading today from the best that money can't buy, uh starting with chapter thirteen. Uh I understand actually uh, most of you have now already already gotten this book or already ordered it, is that correct? Yep, yep, we all we all have it or have it ordered, I think excellent um you know and
2: um, I the unfortunate one who hasn't come into possession of it just yet but then um, <laughs> i'm intrigued even just we getting a few chapters of it so okay
1: well um the good news is um that you know actually that's why i did these these shows reading from the book because i was having trouble getting people to understand just how important this book really is to the movement. Um, if you want to understand the Venus Project, you really need to read this book. This is the way to go. And even listening to my radio shows where I read the book is great, but in addition to the fact that you will be you know, supporting Jacques and Roxanne, if you buy the book directly um, from the site, you'll be supporting the, v, you know, the Venus Project directly. Um, it's also just a matter of, you know, you can listen to me say something, and you can, you know, but it's not quite the same thing as listening it, to it in your head when you're reading it for yourself. It gives you time to reflect on certain issues, you know, different sentences and such. Um, you know, uh, you might want to reread them again, you know, maybe miss some kind of nuance here or there. Um, in addition to that, because, I, you know, I wouldn't want anybody to go to sleep, essentially, I generally have panelists, as I do today. I usually, um, when I, ideally, I try to have an international panel, but today I just happened to befriend a, you know, group of Irish people in the Zeitgeist Movement Ventrilo, which I strongly advise that anybody who isn't using that should get into it. Um, There's a post on the forum that gives you a very good tutorial, so to speak, on how to set it up, and it's a great place to meet people in the movement from all over the world. Um, So uh, tonight, as usual, um, after I read a chapter, I will generally open the Blog Talk Radio switchboard, To those of you who are watching um, or watching on Zeitgeist TV, there isn't really much to watch other than a little picture, but you can hear us all. um, You basically will be able to call in um, about that time. I will be watching the switchboard on and off. If you have any questions or comments about the specific chapter or questions about the Venus Project in general, um, I will be happy to answer them, um, especially as a spokesman for the Venus Project, a spokesman, not the spokesman, um, I met with Jacques and Roxanne, and it changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, I guess that would bring me to my own story that I haven't really told a lot recently, but I started out in all of this uh, political um, activism actually from the Ron Paul movement originally. Uh, I Basically, a friend of mine sent me a YouTube video and said, what do you think of this guy? Do you think he's for real? I checked out Ron Paul, and um, he was saying a lot of things that I've been thinking for a long time, but politicians don't generally dare say. Um, and I became involved with that movement, particularly um, in the in, on the Internet. Uh, that's actually where the name VTV comes from. Uh, and I watched the movie V for Vendetta. It had a lot of influence on me. Um, more specifically, the, the part of the movie where V takes over the radio or the TV airwaves and addresses the nation, um, if you look very closely at, you know, when you watch that movie, down in the little corner, there's a little VTV icon. And that's where I got the idea for my internet persona that i used on ron paul radio and ron paul tv um, which was a justin tv channel very similar to the one that i used for zeitgeist tv um, anyway so uh in addition to that eventually i watched zeitgeist um and then i moved on to watching zeitgeist addendum and it totally changed everything because through the ron paul movement i worked with senator mike gravel in addition to that when i became involved with the libertarian party um, and I, I got, went along with it, really. I got into being a libertarian. I understood where they were coming from. And, but after I watched that guy's addendum, all of my questions and or concerns about the, the subject of free market capitalism as being a success, which I, didn't, I don't really feel it, it is, especially now, um, had, were answered. Uh, it all made sense to me. A lot of it really would just came down to the fact that there are technologies that could be uh, making mankind more than it is, Right now, and um, so I see one of the listeners in the in the blog talk chat is saying that they are in the Ukraine and are not buying books. Um, I wonder if there's any way we could hopefully get the book out to them. Unfortunately, I don't believe this book is is an ebook yet. I know I will talk to Jacques and Roxanne about that. They've been thinking about making this book into an ebook. It's just that they printed out so many of them and they were hoping that they could sell them. Um, just basically to get money for the Venus Project, but uh, in any case, I know that that project is being discussed, so with any luck, we'll get to that, but um, all right, without further ado, um, I'm going to start reading. Um, If you would like to read along with me, I am going to Chapter 13, Technophobia in a Cybernated Age. It is on page 95. And if my panelists would like to mute their microphones to get rid of any extra sound noise, um, by all means, please do. Um, Yep, sure, I'll do that for you now. All right, see you guys in a minute. Chapter 13, Technophobia in a Cybernated Age. This book proposes a partnership between scientific accuracy and imaginative projections that may lead to an age in which intelligence is no longer solely associated with human beings. Despite fears to the contrary, potential problems are not between humans and machines, but rather with the limitations of the human intellect in a time of explosive technological development. Many people fear rapid technological developments, particularly the automated and cybernated aspects of machines replacing human beings, if not outright, then to an extent that might deprive them of of their livelihood. Many of these fears seem justified by the rapid increase in production technology, which requires considerably fewer workers, this trend seems to, be an excel- it seems to be accelerating and contributes to people's fears of being replaced by superior systems that do not require human participation. The basic operating concepts of a money-based system exa- exasperate the problem, since profit is of more concern than the individual Today, machines are not used to enhance the lives of employees by shortening the workday while increasing a vacation time and purchasing power. Hold on just a second. It looks like I might have accidentally dropped a call. Let me pick them back up. Sorry about this brief technical issue, folks. We have new people to Skype today.
2: Yeah, we can't afford to lose Jem to this conversation either, so I think it's worth, it's worth the extra time.
1: Indeed. All right, should be calling her now. It's ringing. Hey, Jem, welcome back.
0: <laughs> Hi. Yeah, must be bad connection anyway.
1: <laughs> it happens sometimes. All right, back to the yeah. reading. The basic basic operating concepts of a money-based system exasperate the problem, since profit is of more concern than the individual. Today, machines are not used to enhance the lives of employees by shortening the workday while increasing vacation time and purchasing power. Instead, industries use automation to benefit a select few, the shareholders. In this way, the majority of people may very well be non-essential personnel, who have outlined Sorry about that. lost my place. Oh, there we go. Who have outlived their usefulness and are set aside, much as obsolete machines are scrapped together. It is not technology that is at fault, but the inhumane use of technology for private profit. Humans contribute to this misuse of technology when they buy stock in and products from companies that show little concern for humans or the environment. A few computer designs today harbor the irrational fear that machines will eventually dominate people, I'm sorry, a few computer designers today, uh, that machines will eventually dominate people since their designs are beginning to manifest human attributes. This is the unfounded fear of the technophobe. Machines actually care nothing about whether they turn out out 5,000 cars a month or 500. They merely function as they are designed to. They make no complaints as they toil in the hot sun, harvesting crops and planting seeds without rest. They have no sweat glands or physical need for sleep. It is because they do not have emotions that they will not conspire to enslave humans. Technophobes, with unfounded fears that computers and robots will enslave the human race and take over the world, are simply attributing human characteristics to machines. Machines do not possess human and animal characteristics like feelings. Which, can, which come from hunger, thirst, sensory stimulation, experience, and internal secretions. When a computer is destroyed in the presence of another computer, there is no anger, resentment, or lust to get even on the part of the surviving computer. Many humans, particularly science fiction writers, project these characteristics onto machines of the future. Even when machines simulate emotions, they are not genuine, they do not feel one way or another about any issue. The fears that machines will increasingly regulate our lives, rob us of our our natural instincts, and eventually threaten our most cherished values, such as our family and spiritual beliefs, are erroneous. Even though machines may provide us with rapid transportation, prefabricated abundance, and artificial intelligence, people will still harbor these fears. Some individuals distrust a computerized society and the possible failure of the machines, They feel this technology makes us more like machines, driving us towards uniformity, resulting in the loss of individuality and that which we cherish most, freedom of choice and privacy. In defense of machines, perhaps we would be better off if people did behave more like them. There is no question that some machines are poorly designed, but the flawed natures of human beings in high places surpass, by far, the illusion of the destructiveness of machines. There is no evidence of machines acting against human beings for their own, of their own accord, except in naive science fiction stories. Humans program machines and direct their use. It is not machines that are to be feared. Sorry, I lost my place again really quickly. Somebody was at my door. There we go. It is the misuse and misdirection of these machines by people that threaten humankind. We must not forget that the bombing of cities, the use of nerve gas, prisons, death camps, and torture chambers have all been managed and operated by human beings, not machines. Even atomic weapons and guided missiles are built and directed by people. People pollute the environment, our air, oceans, and rivers. The use and sale of harmful drugs, the distortion of truth, bigotry, and racial hatred are all part of flawed human systems and false indoctrination. Machines are not the danger. We are. As long as we fail to take responsibility for our relationship to fellow human beings and the intelligent management of our planetary resources, we remain the greatest danger to the planet. If there were ever a conflict between men and machines, we could be fairly certain about who would start it. It is time we acknowledge that. While there may be a moral high ground, none of us are currently standing on it. The most powerful testimony to our ignorance comes from the very scapegoats we blame for our social ills. Too much technology, foreigners and minorities, position of the planets, demonic influences, and subjective moral standards. None of these are relevant. They only serve to divert attention away from the real problems. Science and technology have created none of our problems. Our problems arise from human abuse and misuse of other people, the environment, and technology. Downsizing is not due to machines displacing people. In a more humane civilization, machines would be used to shorten the workday, increase the availability of goods and services, and lengthen vacation time. If we utilize new technology to raise the standard of living for everyone, then machine technology would benefit all. As the dangerous side effects of misusing technology escalate, including environmental pollution, the over-exploitation of the land and sea, and the wasted resources of war and unnecessary human suffering, there is a backlash for a return to a simpler life with less technology. At the same time, people call for a return to more humane values and a considerable reduction in the rate of technological development. Those who nostalgically advocate a return to the simple life and going back to the land are misinformed and limited in their thinking. Imagine what would happen if we removed all the machines in people's homes, the radio, television, computer, telephone, electric light, oven, refrigerator, and heating and cooling system. We do not see such people tossing the machines out of the house or even going one week without their cars. They are people who are preoccupied with with wishful thinking and irrelevancies. Sorry. They are free to give up their modern conveniences and move into a cave if they choose to do so, but how far back does one really want to go? These people seem unaware of, high, of the high rates of infant mort- mortality, women dying in childbirth, malnutrition, and death from infectious disease that were prevalent in earlier times. Any regression or return to the past would be a vast waste of human potential. sorry about that if those, u- uh, those against technology were able to turn back the clock in the name of vague human- humanitarian values we would we would condemn millions to a state of permanent misery and unnecessary suffering a hand tool economy in which humans spend their time providing the bare necessities of life devoting long hours to digging wells, gathering wood hand-pumping water, and washing clothes in the river leaves little room for the development of the individual. This also holds true for those in an industrial society on a production line when they are exposed to a cycle of repetitive motions in the production of parts. We are using a very small portion of the human being in these instances and are neglecting the most important aspect of being human, which sets us apart from other animals, our intellect. One of the most shameful aspects of the 20th century is the de- is the degree of technological illiteracy affecting millions of people. Despite access to the broadest range of knowledgeable of knowledge the world has ever assembled, sorry about that. Even in the United States, vast numbers go through their day without the slightest idea of how a grocery scanner or a toilet works. They are fairly or I'm sorry, they are only faintly aware of their dependency on dams, power plants, mass transportation, electrification, and modern agricultural science for their very existence. When they turn on a light, they give little thought to the centrally controlled power grid that links widely separated power stations by long-distance transmission lines. These lines are the life force of industry, transportation, and the electrification of the society. Without electrical power, the telephone, air conditioning, radio, television, and computers, what uh, what we have come to accept as modern society would disappear. Without electricity, the gas pump at your service station stops. Without refrigeration, preservation and transportation of food on a global scale would be impossible. No hospital could sustain life during surgery without machines that monitor the patients. All the leading nations of the world depend on technology for their very survival. Without modern nutritional facilities, public health would be threatened and our standard of living would be reduced to a hand-tooled economy. In other words, it is technology that propels today's civilization. Without chemistry, agronomy, agronomy, I'm sorry, I've never said that word before, so I hope I got it right, (laughs) engineering, and modern health sciences, the world as we know it would not exist. Humanity would be burdened with hard physical labor, and long hours of work just to maintain the bare necessities. Many who believe that there is too much emphasis on technology fail to see the humane aspects of science. It has actually been called cold science, and there may be some justification for this in monetary societies when the tools of science are directed, sorry, directed primarily toward private profit and the maintaining of positions of advantage. Many writers and literary people who perpetuate the myth of cold science exhibit technical illiteracy and ignorance of the meaning of science. This may be due to their feeling excluded and being unable to grasp the real significance and sensitivity of science. Some point out the detrimental effects of dams, irrigation canals, and nuclear power projects that are often silent prior to the construction of these projects. In many cases, only when the projects fail do the detractors make themselves known, but rarely with a a viable solution or alternative. It is not dams and power projects that should be cut out. Instead, it is up to us to devise more effective and practical applications to harness nature while still protecting the environment and helping to support human life. There are, are always positive effects associated with all natural phenomena, Whether we view them as good or bad depends on the species affected and the effects on human civilization. When a volcano erupts, dust may spread over an extensive area, choking out many forms of life, but the lava also provides new soil and fertilization for the growth of new plants. Hurricanes spread seeds in vast areas where they would not otherwise have landed. Such pollination originally supported the lush growth on many islands, The world of the future will involve harnessing and maximizing the forces of nature and redirecting them in constructive ways that help support human life, while also protecting the natural environment. It is possible to build dams, canals, and power plants that offer far more than they do today, while minimizing the negative effects. For example, dams can allow for the migration of fish by means of inclined steps that enable fish to ascend to a higher level, or allow for the removal of silt when needed, if we start a project with a full map of the proposal, we can see and prevent damage and also adjust the design to accommodate current natural processes, thus saving time and material. Computer simulation models already exist. Most major projects, however, are undertaken to fit special agendas, primarily business or special interests, without concern for the existing ecology. Much is lost in the process. Would you trust your life to a machine? Actually, you do every time you get into an airplane or a car. Chances are you'd rather come into San Francisco airport in a thick fog guided by sophisticated electronic instrumentation but then by a human pilot who can't see past the nose of the plane. And how many patients in the hospital are kept alive during emergencies by machine life support systems? As with many other things humans come into contact with, they often tend to personalize the machine. Humans can become emotionally involved with their machines and even brought to tears or anger over them. People in a motion picture theater watching an animated pen and ink drawings can identify with the characters and laugh or weep over these non-existent entities. People often refer to their automobiles as their babies. Boats are referred to as she. Many a husband, when told by his wife or teenager, I've had an accident, inquires first, how badly was the car damaged? Since the advent of the personal computer, machines have become so ingrained in the lives of many that they depend on the computers not only to support their livelihoods, but also to support their mental state as well. Computers become extensions of themselves, and sometimes unknowingly their best friend. Computers don't argue or become indignant or jealous, and they don't react to insults. Sitting in a computer keyboard, users may indulge their wildest fantasies without having to deal with the hassles of personal contact. The personal computer has become an essential and very exponential part of their lives. The technological revolution is here to stay and will eventually, whether we support it or not, free people from the never-ending struggle for security. Computers have already invaded our schools, churches and the highest offices of government. But they do not intend to enslave or, re- or regiment the human race. They do not inquire into their our users' color, creed, sexual orientation, Politics or religion—they are, in some respects, kinder to us than we are to ourselves. We need more technology, not less, but we need a new kind of application of technology. If technology were managed intelligently and with human human concern, it could be used to overcome scarcity and liberate millions of human beings from the scourges of poverty and social insufficiency, rather than consign humanity to eternal slavery to machines and a monetary wage system. We should allow machines to free human beings from dangerous, boring, or meaningless jobs. Far from being the threat feared by technophobes, machines could be liberators, providing us the time and resources to help us learn what it means to be a human being and a member of the world community. Okay, well, that was the end of that chapter. Um, Jim, do you want to comment first on this chapter?
3: I think she's having a little bit of trouble hearing you,
1: Yeah, we can hear you. Can you hear us? (laughs) Jem? I guess not. All Yeah, I'm
0: here. I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, we can hear you. It sounds like the connection is just bad. Um, What I will do is um, go ahead and disconnect. I will recall you, and in the meantime, I'll move on to James, and you can talk about the chapter when, uh, when we get back. So... Go ahead, James, and um, I will see what I can do about fixing Gem's connection.
2: Well, first of all, I will, um, I will say that that is a pretty, pretty remarkably insightful observation of, of, of the, entire, the entire system. I think that the reality of the way people have been led to believe computers or any other, other mechanized attributes of our lives, have been, they've been led to be, address them as though they themselves are the problem. And not that we kind of base our lives around a different structure than improvement of these these mechanisms. It just seems as though people who kind of people who choose to say, Oh, the, the computer is wrong or my computer is faulty or whatever else choose to ignore the fact that it was the designing of that computer that was the problem, not the computer itself. Um, the other thing about it seems as though people do do in in almost every circumstance give this kind of human persona to to almost everything they're around at the moment and it seems as though 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 machines don't really don't really um deserve that nor can they really be be to blame for for any of these any of these failures like a m- machinery and everything else is essentially just an extension of ourselves so it does seem as though um it's quite funny how they seem to um they seem to presume that we um, were being taken over or anything else. It's it's based on somebody's somebody's decision that technology has advanced how far it has, you know. I just think that um people people can't necessarily be blamed if, if technology has, has in some way left them at a loss. I think it's it's more the system than it is the technology itself. I suppose it's the fact that our our, our education system has kinda of led us to, to address specific problems at any given time as opposed to addressing an entire system because addressing an entire system would be incredibly difficult considering considering the current system and considering how many flaws there are we think that the solution is to solve one at a time but um it's just it's 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 remarkable i've I've never i haven't actually read this book you know so I'm, i'm i'm kind of in some ways the um the the naive one to its to its information or whatever else like i've I've an understanding of the venus project and everything else but um from the perspective of somebody who's never never heard this stuff before especially not from jack's um jack's own own hand it's it's remarkable to hear to be entirely honest I'm, i'm still i'm still trying to trying to um compute a lot of it you know
1: no, I definitely understand, and that's one of the reasons why I read this book. Um, it, when you're talking about the Venus Project, you end up going off on a lot of tangents that, to the uninitiated, sound like you're not really talking about the same subject, and then eventually you end up coming back to what they were talking about, and you know the person will then realize, wow, you know, if he hadn't said all this other stuff, I would have asked like 30 different questions <laughs> to try to clarify everything he just told me. Um, and it, you end up seeing that a lot when Jacques speaks about it. He'll, he'll end up like kind of going around in circles and then eventually gets back to your point. And generally that, that's what it's about is that it, it's just such a complicated um, subject and that it, it can't just be easily explained because it basically reworks every aspect of our lives. Now I'm going to move on to Shane. Uh, Jen, is, Jen is having connection issues, so she's going to try restarting her computer, and restarting her router so it may be a little bit later until she can join us. Uh, go ahead and uh, give your assessment of that chapter, Shane. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Neil. I'll my best anyway. And I think the idea of machines,
3: you know, on their own initiative hoarding people, uh, there's no basis for it. It's fallacy. It's never happened. Uh, it's. I think a lot of people have got this. It's a Hollywood concept, you know. It, it, there's no real example of it. You know, if you watch iRobot, you watch The Matrix, and we see it in, you know, and it's a Hollywood concept. It's never happened. There's not one example anybody can give of a machine on its own initiative hurting a human being. And it's never happened. So it's a fallacy. You, know, you can't back this up, you know. The idea of, some people have said about a hand-tool economy, you know, going back to basics, you know. Well, you have to understand but that concept, <clears throat> it's a real lack of understanding in some sense. Because you don't tackle any root causes if you do that. Um, I, I understand what they're thinking, you know, they, maybe they don't agree with the current system, nor do I, but I don't believe in patchwork, and it, 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 in fact, it's not patchwork, it, it, it's actually quite dangerous because it doesn't tackle, like, the most basic of things, scarcity, you know, if you don't tackle scarcity, forget it, and, um, you know, I know they, they would tend to think, oh, well, you know, you could live in a community, et etc. et cetera, and, you know, you know, behavior would move away, it wouldn't. If you look back through history, you know, tribal wars, you know, when scarcity was a problem during famines, it, they've been some of the worst. Now, I know our own society uh, with technology today or the abuse of technology today hasn't done much better, but that's through the abuse of technology. Technology, when it's been applied in a humanistic, with a humanistic approach, has worked very well. You know, I mean, if you look at, like, in rela- relation to our own country here, Neil, um, Ireland, we had a, a famine in the 18th century that killed a couple of million people. You know, uh, hydroponic farming, that wouldn't happen plain and simple. You know, a lot of people died. It was on net. Okay, we didn't have the technology then. But that's the point of technology applied in humanistic terms. It, it, it alleviates scarcity. So the hand-tool economy, it just really doesn't hold up. You know, it, it never has. You know, we, we're an emerging species. Uh, our, our education is constantly emerging. You know, the things we know emerge. You know, we, if you want to go back to a hand-tool economy, you may as well say the world is flat and, and for one of a word, you know. Also, a lot of these myths as well, that, you know, technology is bad and evil and computers will kill us and take over the world. A lot of it's down to a lack of education in some respects as, as regards technology. It's it's very much like the uh, the analogy of like, oh, you know, in the dark ages or, even you know, say take the Aztec culture. If they had a drought, they would say, oh, well, the devil caused the drought, you know, or the God isn't happy. So they create a myth because they couldn't explain something or they didn't know about it. So, in a lot of respects, it's down to, like, myths. When people don't understand something properly, they make myths, you know, they make things that aren't true, you know. I mean, if you look at, like, um, I remember not then Peter was speaking about, like, you know, one day robots could do surgery or a computer could do surgery. And a lot of people have said, no, that will never happen, not in a hundred years. If you go on to TED Talks, there's actually a robot that it doesn't do, it's not as advanced as it will be, but it can already do, essentially, what Peter was talking about in the movie. So, you know, tech, people don't really understand the true state of technology in a lot of respects. So you can understand as well why they would be skeptical, you know, like they, why, why people can kind of go, oh, well, I don't know about this. But I mean, if you, like, go on to a popular science magazine or, or, you know, any TED Talks, any, you know, any of these good shows or magazines, you can see technology that's been applied in a humanistic form. It's brilliant. It's, it's amazing the things that we could do, you know. Okay, in a monetary system, we can't, you know, we can't afford to. We can't afford to look after people. We can afford to build weapons, of course, but we can't afford to look after people. You know, another thing that, you know, when you talk to people, you kind of say, well, look, everything in your home, at so everything around you at some point was new technology. Everything, everything you have down to, the, you know, this, you know, we're talking to you here now, the computer, what I'm sitting on, it was all technology at some point. That's what's improved our lives. Not money, not politics, nothing. Technology makes life better if it's applied properly. Technology, when it's not applied in a humanistic form, is worth nothing. You know, another point, like, you know, if you look at the... the a lot of Shac's designs and the Venus project. There's no weapons. There's nothing there to hurt people. If you don't build weapons, we won't have weapons. They're not, you can't hurt someone if you don't create something to do it. You know, so a computer has never hurt anyone on its own initiative. And if you don't create a, com- a computer that's going to hurt people, it's not going to happen. You know, so I think that's essentially one of the biggest ideas in the Venus project. Is you know, it's the abuse of technology. It has never been technology. And if you don't create it. A lot of ways, the, the, the technology that we have is a reflection of the people who designed it. That's why, in a monetary system, we have so many weapons. You know, there's profit and weapons, and people design them. In fact, my only fear of technology is the way it would develop in a monetary system, and that's being perfectly honest. It's, uh, the, in, a, in, a, in a monetary system, I do fear how we go because, like, you look at nanotech. You know, nanotech has, if it's applied in the right manner, you know, it, it, what? You know, we don't. We're not into nanotech enough to you know to really kind of have anything solid but there, there's a lot of great possibilities but in a monetary system it could also be used as a weapon you know it could make a nuclear weapon look like a baseball bat I think Peter once said you know it's just pretty a scary concept so I just I just have to go back and that it, it's a Hollywood concept you know if, if someone could give me an example of course it revise my opinion but it's never happened you know it's it's a myth and that's that's all I really have to say about that one
1: okay well go ahead James
2: I think it comes down to a a kind of detachment from the person who designed any given piece of technology. Like no matter how advanced technology has gotten, the intent has been the same. And it's been to either alleviate us from from a particular thought process like a calculator or a particular chore. So it's an extension of human capabilities. So to say that a, a particular machine or whatever else is evil could in certain contexts be be correct in the sense that a gun is never going to be used to sow a fucking flower bed. Pardon me. So to be entirely honest, you're never going to be able to say this is this is a gun. Go- I'm sorry. I get really angry when I when I talk about anything that's it, it's essentially designed. It's essentially designed entirely to injure people, and we act as though these are the these are the evil things. The people who have created these and have managed to have the pathological thought process that's led them to believe that it's correct and right in any sense to utilize technology to hurt somebody is just beyond me and then you 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 begin to think oh technology is the bad thing the the, the line and that that i've heard repeated in in the the ventrilo server a, a couple of times has been the one where it says um if humans and machines were to go to war or if humans and technology or computers were to go to war i'd give you one guess as to who started it i think it was shane who had actually mentioned that at one stage and it really does come down to a lack of objective intent on part on the part of humans it's always been this obsession with power or whatever else and i just can't comprehend how anybody how anybody would ever have this opinion that 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 uh machines are evil i think that, that evil or anything else is just it's just an attribute of humanity. I don't believe in evilness. I just believe that people have have lost sight of one another because we're just we're just doing such silly things and then blaming other things other than the the, the reality, which is that we're 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 so far off the beaten track, so far off where we should be right now that that there's no there's no saving us and there's no blaming technology for it either.
1: I definitely agree. It looks like we have Jem back. Let's see if we can hear her and she can hear us this time. How are you doing there, Jem? Can you hear us?
0: Hi, I can just about hear you. I'm catching the conversation, okay? Nice to be back, anyway. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, we can. Um, Why don't you go ahead and give your comments about this chapter?
0: Yeah, um, well, basically the comments I'd like to make is that I used to be of um, the School of thought that uh, so we need needed to go back to the earth, go back to basics, get rid of all of this, you know, technology that I used to think was the cause of all the ills of the world. You know what I mean? Technology, um, you know, I mean, let's say, for instance, taking you know, a TV, it, it's obsolete within six months, you know, and, and you go ahead and get another one. Uh.
1: Um
0: it signals to the point where it will only accept digital, things like that, you know. And I used to be of the opinion that it was definitely technology that was the problem, which was polluting the earth, blah, blah, blah. But um, went, when I came across the movement hence the Venus Project, and I really started to look at it objectively, I did realize that it's not. It's, it's the people that are using it, and it's used for the wrong things.
1: Well, I definitely agree with you there, and, you know, I want to extrapolate a little more on what people were saying about the, the fictional, it, it's fiction. Uh, people that are talking about, you know, machines being evil are generally, they, they always say, you know, like, you know, just the other day, actually, I was, ironically, it was from a blogger from Ireland um, who was part of the libertarian Irish movement, and um, somebody put, um, you know, please help me refute this nonsense, you know, as a as a forum thread on Zeitgeist TV, and, me being B T V, of course, I had to, you know, volunteer for the challenge, particularly when it comes to libertarians. Um, and the person said, well, having seen, you know, the recent Terminator movie, you know, this is the reason that I can't support the ideas of, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm just like, you know, you just, you just basically debunked yourself right there. I mean, it, it could just be, it could have been a movie about fairies or demons or anything like that, and it would have been just as irrelevant you know, and basically, um, it turns out actually it's one of my panelists who wrote that. It was Shane. Um, hold on, just a second. Sorry about that. I'm back. Um, anyway, um, so in in essence, when people are bringing up these conversations and they're and they're quoting science fiction movies, they forget the fiction part of it. Okay, and as you said about you know when science has been applied to the humanistic you know, you know, intention, then it's always been fine. You know, there is no evil science. You know, just like there's no evil in machines. You know, that's like saying that a missile is evil. The missile didn't choose anything. It was programmed for a specific purpose. It was given weapons, and then it goes to its target and it blows it up. The missile is not evil. The people who essentially launch the missile, they're the ones who you need to be worrying about as far as intentions. You know, and honestly, though, I mean, it's not that I don't think that we should get rid of all weapons right away because, unfortunately, we live in a system where um, that isn't even feasible just yet. But, you know, people really need to look at the, the root causes of the, of the behaviors in question and not attribute them to humans, okay? When you think about it, it's just like superstition, okay? we uh, Let's take, for example, the Roman gods, the Roman pantheon, okay? Then compare the Roman pantheon to the Roman people, you're going to find a lot of similarities. You know, there was a lot of jealousy, uh, a lot of pettiness, a lot of, um, you know, basically the, the Roman gods were reflections of the people in question. You know, another thing you often find is that the role that, say, the god of, you know, one element or another, let's take, for example, the sun. You know, in the Irish Celtic culture, at least from what I've read, the sun god is actually a pretty good guy. But if you go to the Egyptian culture, the sun god's a mean guy. He's kind of evil, you know. Um, The the reason that I bring that up is that, well, I've been to Ireland, and it can get pretty cold and miserable there, so I can understand why they would think the sun was a pretty nice guy. (laughs) You go to Egypt, and the sun is beating down on you all day, you know, and uh, basically it's not necessarily a beneficial aspect of your life. So... The reason that I bring this up is that people have a tendency to project their own tendencies, their own ideas, their own feelings onto um, their environment, okay, things that are around them. And so they, of course, do the same thing to machines. No machine has ever on its own decided that it was going to do something bad, and it won't unless it's programmed to do so. And at that point, it's not the machine. It's the person who programmed it. You know, it's just like,, you know, I guess another good euphemism, although this is a bit, um, a bit more on the vague side, but I would say that, for example, parents are responsible for their children. You know, if, you're, if your children think that violence is acceptable, that probably has something to do with your parenting skills. That's where they got that idea. A computer is not going to think that it blowing itself up because it's a miss, you know, part of a missile is a good idea unless it's been programmed to do that. It's the same concept humans have to accept personal responsibility for the things that they do and not try to attribute onto things that really have no control over it. You know, that same missile could be converted into an instrument of science to explore, you know, maybe perhaps explore space. You know, it it, it all depends on what we put into it, you know. Uh, And I think that humans are far too quick to blame all of their ills on other things. And they also want to assume that everything is like them, that's why you end up having situations like, well, our gods are, you know, are petty and cruel, so so are we, you know. Never mind the fact that you created them, of course, but you get the idea, I'm sure. And you know, I think that this chapter is probably one of the more important chapters, and I, I think that the next chapter is also going to be important. Uh, if I remember right, it's about education, and that's a chapter that I've been waiting to get to for some time. Um, essentially. Um, And now I want to come to uh, the the part of the show, obviously, you know, when it comes to this chapter, if anybody would like to call in, the call-in number is 347-945-7747. I just put that in the Zeitgeist TV chat not long ago. Um, I will put it in our main chat again. But um, if you would like to call in, the switchboard is open. You know, I will basically bring you up. It looks like we have a caller now. All right, a uh, caller from the 773 area code. You're on the air. Or, well, you're about to be. <laughs> it didn't. There we go. There we go. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was lagging when I was trying to enable you. Go ahead.
4: Oh, that's all right. This is Jen uh, calling from Chicago. And, oh, hello, um, Jen. Hi. Yeah, I, hi, I wanted to...
2: I to Hello. Before, actually.
4: Yes, we have, James. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to add um, some of the great things that I like about technology that some people are a little nervous about, or they, or they think that um, it, well, basically, especially from a standpoint of the Internet and communications, um, social networks, Email, um, things like this. I have a lot of friends and family that think that these are actually obstacles to personal relationships because they're kind of of an old school ideal that you, you know, that face to face is more personal. So they kind of look at these as as being, I don't know, keeping people in their homes, cloistered the away, and, and on the computer. And I, I can see their point on that. But one of the things that I really love about it is we have this great global communication system where everything is instantaneous and information can be spread and there's this, there's this amazing ability for transparency that we didn't have before. And I think that this is a really great tool, and I don't see it as a negative. I really see it as a positive. Um, things like, uh, you know, social networks, Facebook, Twitter – Wikipedia, um, blogs, cell phones with cameras are are another piece of technology where now if you're at an event, like uh, you have amateur journalists that are are seeing things happening before any person of of, uh, mainstream media could get to it, so you're getting real-time information about things going on, and I just, I really value that stream of information because without that, uh, I think that there's a lot of potential for abuse of power in in information and distri- distribution of information and I wanted to recommend a book I've been I'm reading um, that's called here comes everybody by Clay Shirky and he also has a TED talk um, that that goes into he talks about uh, an earthquake in China and and amazing things that that came about uh, from people from citizens having access to social networks to compare notes and information, and it actually um, affected the, the community in, in a really big way. So I just wanted to weigh in about that. There's another piece of, um, of development in communication technology that I think is uh, really valuable.
1: Well, you know, it's to comment on what you're talking about, Jen, quite ironically, when you think about it, this radio show would not be possible if it were not for those advocation, you know, those, those advents in technology uh, computer programs like Ventrilo that allow you to speak to people all over the world. I mean, when I was playing Star Wars Galaxies, a uh, video game, I met people from all over the world via Ventrilo that I never would have talked to before. And it, it not just for the video game, though, it affected my, my opinion of the world in general. I, like, there were a lot of British people that I played that game with. There were people from Mexico I played that game with, people from France, people from Canada, Australia, Portugal, New Zealand, I mean, seriously, I I was talking to these people, like, you know, all the time, and we were interacting in a video virtual world together and becoming friends. People, that if it weren't for this network, I would have never even met, you know. Some of them are people that I was, you know, like, I consider to be very cherished friends, who I still talk to even today. And, you know, in addition to that, you know, when you think about this, this very call, on this call, I'm using a program called Skype, and I'm collect, connect, also connected to Blog Talk Radio. I'm talking to you in Chicago. I'm talking to you know, three other people who are in Ireland. And one, in addition to one of their dogs. Um, Sorry. But, I mean, you know, think about the advent of technology here. You know, is that and this is another thing that I would bring up real quickly, and I, and, um, I know James had something he wants to say about your point. Um, is that um, basically that. Uh, when they talk about whether or not they think the world will ever accept these ideas, whether or not we as a human species could ever come together and cooperate, well, I can tell you that thanks to the Internet, I've learned a lot about people all over the world, and it is a tool that did not exist before. Okay? Uh, if, if it were not for the Internet, I, the only people I would have talked to in Ireland were the people that, you know, were the people that I met when I was there. And a gentleman who works at a local Kmart came from Ireland. <laughs> you know, they would have been the only Irish people I ever met in my whole life. And now I talk to Irish people any day that I want to. You know, and, and this really is an example of how these communication networks happen. They allow you to bridge gaps, really get to understand one another. And you can always tell when a regime is scared of that. Because, you know, for example, a lot of channels are banned in communist China. Some of them are banned in Iran you know, uh, but, you know, on the other side of that, there's a website that I go to called Islam.com, where I talk to Muslims about their religion, you know, and these people are talking to me from places like Turkey and Syria and Iraq and Kuwait. Um, Actually, Kuwait's another excellent example. I used to play uh, World of Warcraft with a lot of people from Kuwait that just for some reason, all the Kuwaitis went to the same server I was on. And I became really good friends with some of these people, you know, and I got to learn about their culture and you know, this is that's the kind of stuff that really needs to happen that these technologies are enabling. Now, uh, go ahead and go ahead, James. And then we'll ask Jen if she had anything further she wanted to say.
2: Oddly enough, Neil, I think you actually just covered my my point, man. Um, I I just can't advocate the internet enough in terms of how much it personally has done for me. Um, I think just the freedom of information, like when you just come to looking at the amount of different opinions the the broadness your frame of reference can reach just by looking at the internet and saying okay well here here here's this opinion and here's this opinion and where do they come from and you've got geographical altered alternation you've got everything race age everything everybody well not everybody but I suppose you are kind of limited in terms of a certain class in the sense that people who are who are unfortunately not uh financially capable of affording a computer won't really be available to uh to give a point. I think that that's ultimately what the Venus Project is here to do is to represent those unfortunate folks but um I think the reality of it is that we need to understand how powerful it's become now at this stage like if you even look at this movement and see how even though there's been so much conditioning and so much like just ultimately propaganda that's been leading us to believe that this is the truth and that we're all different and that there's people who want to hurt us and and then you you come come to a place like this and meet those people who apparently hate you and you realize how similar they are to you you just you just can't you can't sustain that opinion in a world where everybody's free to talk you know and i i I can't advocate it enough. I just say look at look at the choices people are making now that they're given a choice where they wanna where they want to invest their time. Like we have people like yourself and people like Shane and people like Jem who are administrators on the Irish chapter of the Zeitgeist movement who are given amazing amounts of time to, to this cause. And I think it really is in it it does does really point towards what people people do when they're they're given a choice, you know, when they're given a a chance to communicate and actually share share things with one another and i think we have a lot to thank the internet for in terms of uh our our group to uh to to become as powerful it is, as it is and as powerful as it will become
1: yeah i definitely agree with you there and i have to say that you know uh as we pointed out another thing that comes to mind is like the advent of technology and communication technology also makes it a lot harder for people to hold back the news. I mean, like uh, some of the footage that I remember seeing of the stuff going on in Gaza I got from people on the Internet. Um, I recently watched a documentary, you know, man, I'm definitely on the terrorist watch list now, but I watched a documentary that uh, one of the resistance movements in Iraq put out. It was explaining their motivations. And I, I still support our troops and I just wish everybody would just stop killing each other there. I don't, I'm not on anybody's side. I'm on the side of peace. And when I, de- when I talk about war particularly because of documentaries like these that humanize the other side of it. Um, it. I don't see victors anymore. I see victims on all sides. No victors, just victims. And it's because of the fact that I was able to communicate with people on both sides of the argument, not just be spoon-fed you know, what exactly you know, my nation wanted me to see. You see that more, in obviously, in fascist countries where they absolutely control what you see, but you definitely also see it. This is the evil side of capitalism is you know in our news in the United States I don't know what it's like in England I can tell you that I generally like the BBC more than most of my United States channels um, but um, you know Rupert Murdoch gets to decide what you see and what you don't because he owns it you know he gets to own reality you know but with the with the advent of the internet you know there are people who got more exposure Senator Mike Gravel was a presidential candidate who would have disappeared inside of the first couple of weeks of the democratic race and the libertarian race if it wasn't for the internet, I never would have met him. If it wasn't for the internet, and I would also, you know, I will close with something else about this before I ask Jen if she had anything more she wanted to comment. Um, it is the fact that um, uh, that when I remember talking to one of my teachers, my history teacher, about the issue of fascism and how the Nazi uh, party was able to take power and invade you know, multiple countries and just expand their empire very quickly with the blitzkrieg. And I asked him, you know, could that ever happen again? And he said, well, one of the major reasons that it can't happen again is because of our communication technology. Back then you were lucky if you owned a radio. Um, And now, you know, now you could never get away with that. If there were tanks rolling into the United States, say from Canada or Mexico, it'd be all over the news. It'd be all over the internet. It'd be all over the radio People would be calling each other on phones about it. You know, a lot of the ways that, you know, people can do uh, the things that they used to do just don't work anymore. You could never blitzkrieg across Europe anymore. People would know about it within, you know, minutes of you doing it. You know, the whole world would know. And that's another example of how also how technology is our liberator. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Peter said an addendum that the, uh, the Internet is our savior. You know, if it had not been for the Internet, I would have never known more about Ron Paul for example, than, than the media wanted me to, and the media did not want me to know about Ron Paul. It also didn't want me to about, know about Dennis Kucinich. It also didn't want me to know about Mike Gravel, because these three men were all basically telling the establishment, um, you guys need to chill, or you guys need to stop doing what you're doing, or you need to stop violating the Constitution, or you need to stop pretending that you're for freedom when you're really for fascism. You know, essentially, if it hadn't been for the Internet, I wouldn't have heard of any of these people. Um, and, I, and that also means I would never have ended up watching Zeitgeist. And think about how much of this, like, it, the, our whole existence as a movement would not have been possible without the Internet. So, Jen, did you have anything further?
4: Um, just a lo- little bit. I just, um, to add off to that, yes, definitely, advances in, in communications technology, and they allow us to mobilize in a relatively free and cheap and instant way for instant group action, which is gives reason for governments to be concerned about that and they should feel threatened by that. And, and I, and I, you know, am a huge advocate of everybody doing whatever is possible to protect the right to access the internet and free information. Um, and I also wanted to say too, I also to say
1: too um, James, it sounds like you have a show. I'm sorry. Hold on, Jen. It sounds like you have the show playing, so we're getting an echo. Sorry. Okay, go ahead, Jen. No, it wasn't it you. It was somebody accidentally had to show on. Go ahead. No, you were fine, actually. I think it was James. But go okay. ahead, Jen.
4: Um, I I also wanted to say that it is a, I think it's a real testament to what kind of a visionary Jacques Fresco is. The fact that he had all of the he had envisioned the world working as one organism before we even had a means of communication to communicate globally, and I think that was perhaps a reason why it was very difficult for people to get on board with this kind of uh, uh, concept because they couldn't conceive of it. And, and yet now we're in a techn- technological age where people of my generation who are using technology every day in work and I'm t- connecting with people from all over the world all the time on a regular basis, it, it really doesn't seem so far-fetched. I can see it right now. I can see it developing... Um, into amazing, amazing things, and I'm really excited about, uh, you know, as we get more and more people interested in this, and, yeah, I just, I think that they've got, people have got to come to terms with technology and make peace with it, and and once, you know, we consider how the monetary system takes away from that today, that the the only thing that you can see um, left is that, it really helps bring people together. That technology is really powerful, and I, you know, I'm especially excited about Absolutely. The communication technology. All
1: right, I believe Shane had a point, and thank you, Jen, for coming on. Um, if you want to call back in to comment on the next chapter, you of course would be welcome to do so. We'll be getting on to the next chapter as soon as Shane is finished. So go ahead, Shane, and thanks again, Jen, for calling in.
2: All right, thanks, Jen. Jen. Talk to you soon.
3: Thanks, Jen. And I'm Shaunie, I I'm just like to. Mr. it's uh, an excellent point, and I 100% agree. Technology is the only thing that's bridging the gaps at the moment um, between ourselves and people in other cultures, and the politics is not doing that. It, nothing else. And in a lot of respects, I just like to say, I think, I think it's a, a technology, what we have today, is in a lot of respects, it's a mirror to our society and our values. You know, we have a lot of positive, and we have some negative. You know, and it, it, you know, it, it shows the values of the people you know in our society, and we need to try and remove the negative as much as possible and have our technology mirror how we, how we want to live, you know? Actually, I don't know if you get where I'm coming from, Neil, but...
1: No, I, I definitely if that do. I, I totally get it. That, that was fine. Um, well, um, that being said, did you have anything further to say, Jem, since you're finally back on um, before I start the next chapter?
0: Yeah, my apologies. Something must be wrong with my connection. But, um, I suppose regarding like technology the internet itself, it is just incredible. I recently um really started to use the internet to what I consider you know it has great potential for me. I mean, I made this movement through this, and um the internet itself is almost like, it's like an extension of our consciousness. you find everything there. And if you kind of plug into the right stuff, you can really make things move. I mean, already this movement is getting so huge. And it is just wholly in thanks to technology.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think that that, beyond anything else, just the the testament of the ability to communicate with each other, to learn about things, uh, definitely changed a lot of aspects of the way that we look at the world. Um You know, like I was talking about that i I actually recently communicated with somebody who lives in Iran, and he described to me what it's like to live in iran um if If I hadn't been playing that uh, World of Warcraft game with that guy from Kuwait, I had a lot of misconceptions about what it was like to live in Kuwait. You know these are all things that if I wanted to learn before the advent of the internet, I would have had to have pick up a book and read them you know I would have and hoped that the book was correct. You know, I certainly never would have met my friends from Kuwait that I used to play World of Warcraft with. I wouldn't have met any of the friends that I met from, you know, Star Wars Galaxies, And I definitely wouldn't have met any of the people that I'm talking to now. And you guys have all enriched my life, um, the whole movement has. And um, I want to thank you again for being on today before we get on to the next chapter. Uh, and it does sound, thankfully, it looks like Jem has solved her connection issue, at least for the moment, because you sounded a lot better, which is good because you've got a lovely voice. <laughs> thank you very
0: much
2: <laughs> you're welcome I
0: think I have sorted
2: it out yeah. okay good just one other thing uh, Neil in terms of like as we become more, more cohesive and more connected as, as a society a global society I think it would be incredibly hard for another war similar to Iraq to be launched let's say 10 years from now because as you said yourself the Americans would be a lot more concerned about it if they were able to say I have some buddies in Iraq you know and with that being said, I think it would be incredibly difficult in 10 years' time for that to happen again.
1: Well, that's why they're trying to regulate the Internet. And I've got to tell you guys, we've got to be careful about this. Um, it's starting to happen around here. It's actually, I, I noticed something that I share often with the Zeitgeist Movement that is one of the benefits of me formerly being part of the Ron Paul Movement, the Libertarian Movement, is that I study a lot about civil rights. Uh, There's a very good documentary I recently played on Zeitgeist TV uh, about Naomi Wolf's book, uh, basically about how fascism is taking hold in the United States. As in, all of the groundwork is already laid out, and all it would take is a president to finally be willing just to do it. And the funny thing is, is there are a lot of things that this is not all conspiracy theory stuff. This is stuff that you could look up on the United States White House government website, Uh, various executive orders, uh, if you sit down and read the Patriot Act and the various things that are, you know, stated in it, the Military Commissions Act, this is all very real. You know, th- this is not like uh, by any means just some crazy conspiracy theory. When I was running for Congress, I studied this stuff very closely, and they're doing their best now to try to look into the internet. Um, and one of the things, uh, it's called the Homegrown Terrorism Act. Okay, and the purpose of the Homegrown Terrorism Act is to evaluate how homegrown terrorism is brought about. And this is, of course, only applicable in the United States, but I'm sure that you'll see things similar to this in the UK. But the, the point behind the Homegrown Terrorism Act is that they want to basically form a committee who studies um, how homegrown terrorism comes about. And they, it, when you read it, they, the congressman who wrote it uh, basically sounds like it's an epidemic, like it's happening every day, like there's suicide bombers in every strip mall, you know, I mean, he doesn't say that literally, but it's just like he acts like this thing that actually doesn't really happen very often here in the United States. Um, you know, it's happening a lot, and we need to do something about it. And evaluating the Internet and, you know, its, a, it's tendency to affect people, you know, uh, as ter- you know, basically in a way that they believe would deem somebody a terrorist is one of the things that is currently being evaluated. The, the system does not like the freedom that we have right now. Uh, The fact that, you know, like you just said, it would be very hard to do that. And that's why you've got to watch closely, people, because some of the stuff that's getting passed is scary stuff. It's not just, you know, annoying stuff. It's not just somewhat bad stuff. It is terrifying when you think of the real implications. And it's even more terrifying to me when I was on the campaign trail running for Congress, how many people didn't care how many people were just brainwashed into thinking that giving away all of their rights was how they needed to be safe. And that, that part in of itself really scares the hell out of me. So let me move on now to the next chapter. We're on to chapter 14. Now I wish I had actually advertised this accordingly because I didn't realize this was the chapter we were coming up on next in time, but this in many ways, in my opinion is probably one of the most important chapters of this book, because it explains how people would be different, why the human nature concept is just crap. The only human nature, I mean, I want to cover this again, the only human nature is that people will do what they feel they need to do to survive. If you get rid of scarcity, then what they need to do to survive becomes a lot easier. Okay? Now, what this chapter is about is how we would educate children so as to have a peaceful, you know, coexistent life, and another major part here, because you know, every time you say education or re-education, they immediately think fascist craziness. But the funny thing is, is that when you understand Mr. Fresco's ideas of education, a fascist system that basically relies on nationalist fervor um, and essentially, you know, it relies on people being ignorant and unable to critically think for themselves would never succeed in a Venus Project society. And the reason why is because Jacques Fresco believes that our children should be cult- uh, that our children's independent critical thinking should be cultivated as the most important resource of humankind period you can't get away with being uh, some kind of regime that's going to you know take over the world if you have critically thinking intelligent children who've been encouraged to think and to evaluate what's going on around them with you know, with their brains and actually really know what's going on that's not something that we're doing anymore. So I'll, I'll stop preaching and I'll get to the book. All right. Chapter 14, Education, Minds in the Making. The more intelligent our children, the better our lives and the richer our culture will be. Every child using drugs and living a life without direction and purpose is a damaged life that we will have to pay for in the future. It is our children who will inherit the future. With the proper information and nurturing, they will understand that Earth is a fantastic place, capable of providing more than enough for the needs of everyone. The development of a new civilization involves not only the construction of new cities for living, but also the building of positive and caring interpersonal relationships. The young and old of this new civilization will learn to live in harmony with one another. Education plays the most important role in achieving this goal, particularly in children. The subject studied will be related to the direction and the needs of this new evolving culture. This new curriculum will emphasize the generalist point of view and the introduction to the general science. Students will be made aware of the symbiotic relationships between people, technology, and the environment. They will have a better understanding of the evolution of cultures and the application of advanced technology to this new social design. Schools of tomorrow will teach children to be analytical. Students will study the interrelationships of life rather than discrete and unconnected subject matter. The focus will be on the interrelationships of humans with Earth and with each other. Early education will emphasize understanding and cooperation. In the redesign of education, the first questions asked are, what ends does education serve? And in a cybernated world society, how do we determine the direction of education? Some goals might be, One, working toward regarding the world's resources as a common heritage. Two, transcending the artificial boundaries that separate people. Three, replacing the monetary economy with a resource-based world economy. Four, reclaiming and restoring the environment to as nearly a natural condition as possible. Five, redesigning cities transportation systems, and agricultural and industrial plants so that they are energy-sufficient, clean, and serve the needs of all people. Six, outgrowing political governance, whether at the local, national, or supranational levels, as a means of social management. Seven, sharing and applying new technologies for the benefit of all. Eight, exploring, developing, and using clean, renewable energy sources such as wind, solar, geothermal, and tidal power. Nine, utilizing the highest quality products for the benefit of the world's people while eliminating planned obsolescence. Ten, focusing on interpersonal skills to improve relationships. Eleven, requiring an environmental impact study prior to construction of any mega projects. Twelve, encouraging the widest range of creativity and incentives toward constructive endeavors. Thirteen, Stabilizing the world's population through education and voluntary birth control. Note, I said voluntary, just to get that out of the way. In order to conform to the carrying capacity of Earth. Fourteen, eliminating nationalism, bigotry, and prejudice. Fifteen, phasing out any type of elitism, technical or otherwise. I'm going to say that one more time for those of us who... uh, haven't gotten the message that the Venus Project has nothing to do with the NWO, but I want to get that out of the way one more time. Phasing out of any type of elitism, technical or otherwise. Thank you, I feel better now. 16. Arriving at met- methodologies through careful research, research rather than random opinions. 17. Enhancing communication so that our language is more relevant to the physical conditions of the world around us. Eighteen, providing not only the necessities of life, but also challenges that stimulate the mind, while emphasizing individuality rather than uniformity. I'm going to say that one more time. Providing, providing not only the necessities of life, but also challenges that stimulate the mind, while emphasizing individuality rather than uniformity. Once again, emphasizing individuality rather than uniformity. There. Sorry, I have that out of my system now, because that's something I hear constantly in Venus Project detractors as they say that there won't be any individuality. Nineteen, finally, preparing people intellectually and emotionally for the changes that lie ahead. Ultimately, these goals determine the direction education will take. If we decide to explore the moon's surface or dig a tunnel under the sea, we must first build an organization dedicated to that goal with the capabilities to accomplish it. To develop a civilization that provides a higher standard of living for all and eliminates war, poverty, and hunger, society must adopt goals that can accomplish these ends. With a resource-based economy, education would stress a cooperative world enterprise in which individuality, creativity, and cooperation would be the norm rather than the exception. It would be free of politics, folkways, and superstitions and would encourage the widest possible innovative thinking. In the schools of a unified world civilization, classrooms could provide information about human behavior and the forces that shape our cultures and values. All students could have access to information without restrictions of any kind. Individual ideologies would remain as a set of tools and as as an associative framework, but would undergo self-modification and growth with new information and experiences. What would likely be perplexing to the citizens of the future is why there was in the past only one Edison, one Pasteur, one Alexander Graham Bell, one Tesla, and in general, so few others of their caliber. Why was it that so few original minds managed to emerge from the billions of populating our planet? Now, I'm going to take a quick moment um, for myself here to point something out. If it wasn't for the fact that um, Edison's mother took him out of school he would have not have been uh, the great mind that he was. He was very dyslexic, and the students and the teachers made fun of him. Um, he was very discouraged, and if it wasn't for the fact that he, his mother just had enough of it and took him out of school and educated him his, herself, we wouldn't have had Thomas Edison. Think about that very heavily and the, and the implications of that. we move on now. Imagine a world where thousands of such individuals live and prosper at the same time thinking and creating to their full ability, a world in which most human beings actively participate in the improvement of Earth's conditions instead of simply toiling to make a living. People of the future may find it incredible that leaders of independent nations and and industries could not grasp the possibilities of a social system of cooperation rather than of competition. We desperately need a saner mode of civilization that no longer divides humankind. Residents of a new network. I'm sorry, residents of new networked communities would it be educated from birth to consider themselves planetary citizens without sacrificing freedom and individuality to in any form of totalitarianism. Schools of tomorrow. Education will undergo considerable improvements. Children will be given to explore their own interests while also participating in cooperative behavior and interaction with other children and the environment. Hands-on experiments and tours of the natural environment. Production plants and other industries would provide ongoing laboratories of learning. The learning environment would encourage actual participation on simplified levels. Younger children would plant seeds in soil, irrigate, fertilize them, and record their growth, as is presently done in many schools. Actually participating in plant and animal development alters forever a child's view of nature and enhances their comprehension of the way nature works and how... Sorry, I lost my place again and how its many and varied functions interrelate with each other. They will see that nature is a symbiotic process and that no single thing enables a plant to grow. They would see that a plant cannot grow without radiant energy from the sun, water, and nutrients, and even that gravity plays a major role in the process. Children would understand that each individual can take an idea only so far. Others invariably add to it and improve upon it. Each contribution motivates and encourages others, Ideas grow and expand like crystals in the varied and complex patterns. With a better realization of our independent, interdependence on, on one another, self-centeredness gradually disappears. Patriotism and national pride, which tend to obscure the contributions of other nations, would no longer be relevant to a new emerging culture. The children could learn, for example, that 600 years before Christ, the Arabs developed the electric battery, a thousand years before the Wright brothers launched their first flying machine, Kitty Hawk, the Chinese developed man-carrying kites. A Russian named Tsiolkovsky, I'm sorry, I probably butchered that, was first to describe in, the detail, in detail the principles of space flight. A Frenchman, Louis Pasteur, developed an inoculation against rabies. In the 16th century, the Italian Leonardo da Vinci envisioned the principles of flight and designed the rudimentary form of the helicopter. The Polish astronomer, Nicholas Copernicus, published his book on the revolution of the celestial bodies. Albert Einstein, a German, gave us the theory of relativity. The contributions of all nations made our standard of living possible and enriched our lives, but we still are only at the threshold of the future. Students would learn that no single nation has all of the answers, nor an answer of all, for all situations. Society is in a constant process of change. Students would understand that there are no final frontiers. They would also realize that each phase of society will evolve a new set of values appropriate to that time. All values, including many of the postulates of science, must be utilized as the best tools available at the time. With the advent of additional information and more sophisticated tools, our notions about the nature of the world could be constantly updated. Science would be taught as a set of known facts and applications that are subject to change as more information becomes available, not as a set of immutable rules and laws. Children taught through cooperative, participatory, hands-on experiences develop better socialization skills and self-confidence. Instead of rote learning, our new schools could provide opportunities for children to improve their interaction with one another in real-life situations, In other instances, students uh, students may choose to explore independent um, interests by selecting their own curriculum. If they prefer, they would be assisted assisted by counselors or artificial intelligence machines, which which could convey information through words, diagrams, visual displays, and many other methods. Our new schools will accommodate the many varied ways in which children learn. Education would emphasize humane values in communication, an essential process to improve the interaction and communication between people of all races, colors, and creeds. Both children and adults can learn to outgrow the self-centeredness that dominates the behavior of many today. A new form of education could make abundantly clear that our likes and dislikes are based upon our present culture and that our visions of the future are always culture-bound. The children would visit farms, power plants, production facilities, and resource centers, and could actually take part in managing and planning their own affairs. Each child could experience leadership by planning activities, and these responsibilities could be constantly rotated so that each student would gain the experience. To improve the mental condition of all of our children, we must not only educate them through books and other visual aids, but also through games that are both physically and mentally stimulating. The children's centers would be equipped with books, computers, and a wide variety of visual aids. At these learning centers, the games children play would be relevant to the needs of the child and the emergent culture. Today, far too many of the games available to our children depend on competition and encourage hostility. The game of chess does not generate creativity in other areas. With practice, strategies for chess may be enhanced, but that does not enhance creativity beyond that game. This game takes a tremendous amount of effort to learn, but it's about nothing in particular. If this system... Every this same effort were applied to games that improved one's understanding of nutrition, health, and disease control. It would be far more beneficial for the player and for society. People consider chess a challenge, but its significance is equal to that of a beauty contest. What games will be available in the future? Consider a game centered on virtual image of Earth. As children touch various areas of the Earth, they could learn ab- about the ge- geography and languages of those areas... Sorry, speaking of children, looks like mine are back, (laughs) complete with being loud. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm going to start that over. With laser indicators pinpointing specific areas, they can interact with and receive relevant information about any aspect of a geographical area. This could be done with as much fun and challenge as are provided by the games played today without the need for outsmarting other players. Other games can connect information about the physical world to needs of individuals and society. There can be games to enhance one's mathematical abilities. Skeletal structures of humans and other animals, when touched, can verbally identify structures and organs, teaching anatomy and physiology. The study of plants and other physical phenomena might be similar. Other games will encourage creativity. In an environment of creative games, associated memory and the experiences gained from the basis of creative thinking. To to think is to make a correlation, and it is the relevance of the correlation that counts. Imagination is based on cumulative experience. The broader the background, the more a person brings to a subject. People of the future would be encouraged to engage in constructive diversity. Even nursery children could participate in games to develop flexibility, individual initiative and creativity, along with a high degree of self-sufficiency. If they were told that four and four four were eight, they would probably reply, eight what? If two drops of fluid are suspended in an acoustical chamber, we can, by sonic means, convert, convert two drops to eight drops, or one drop to four drops. All numerical relationships in the future would be structured within a given frame of reference. Today, children are not taught how to ask questions and examine ideas. Education consists primarily of rote learning, of simply memorizing concepts and propaganda. Children of the future will not be satisfied to accept ideas without an in-depth exploration and understanding of them. If the child of the future were told that the country they lived in was the greatest in the world, they might ask, how so? And compared to what set of standards? Free minds of the 21st century would challenge everything, and most would, in fact, be experts at changing their minds. I emphasize again how difficult it would be for some sort of totalitarian fascist regime to take hold in such a situation. back to the book. At an early age, children could be exposed to social and cultural anthropology. They could also be exposed to the history of civilization and and the history of technology from bow and arrow to the space age. Rather than trying to instill in them a sense of self-worth through moral lectures, we could urge children to develop the necessary skills to further their inquiry. Education in the future could utilize and harness the natural curiosity of children. The children would not, however, get instantaneous fulfillment of their requests. This tends to diminish incentive and makes it almost impossible for them to live without immediate gratification. For example, if a child asked a parent to build a model airplane, the parent could say, I will teach you how to build one. This helps the child appreciate his or her own accomplishments and improves their sense of self-worth. As this process continues, the child will develop greater self-sufficiency and depend less upon others. Children find animated toys exciting and interesting. In the new schools, they could develop their own animated toys. Before they actually build these models, they would be instructed in the necessary crafts. As they develop skills in the working with tools for soldering, wiring, bonding, and fabricating, they can't actually see and use the results. This would give them an appreciation of the effort that is required to make items they might otherwise take for granted. They could constantly learn to apply high safety standards while working with simple and eventually more complex machines. Students could learn how to design and draw the models they intend to build both by hand and by computer, Science, mathematics, art, written communications, and interpersonal skills come into play in this single task. Once a project is completed, the students will better understand the relationship between the blueprint and the materials required for completing a project. Mathematics will be taught as part of the design initiatives in the building of these projects so that there is a physical reference for numerical systems. In this more advanced system it should be easy to transfer these principles to other areas of creativity within the arts and sciences. Though this process, through this process, students will be able to grasp the relationship between nature, technology, and civilization. If we want children to achieve a positive, constructive relationship with one another and become contributing members of society, we must design an environment that produces that desired behavior. For example, when the children are interested in learning to assemble a small motor vehicle, The design might require four children to lift the car while two others attach the wheels. The rest of the car would be assembled in a similar manner, needing the help and cooperation of everyone to complete the vehicle. This enlightened form of education would help students understand the advantages of cooperation. Exercise in our school would not be mandatory, monotonous, or involve adversarial competition, but would be incorporated into the classroom experience. A craft shop the children enjoy might using might be located on a hilltop in the middle of a lake. To get there, the children would have to row a boat or swim and then climb the hilltop. This not only provides exercise, but also a sense of achievement, which helps their mental health and incentive. These are simplified examples of complex processes and ideas which should be considered for our redesign of education. Much attention would be given to emotional development. This would involve learning to interact effectively with others, share experiences, examine alternative approaches to problems, and allow for cultural and individual differences. This could reduce personal and interpersonal conflicts considerably. Children will learn to modify their approach to get their point across, employing reason and restraint rather than name-calling or raising their voices. They would learn how to, be, how to honestly disagree without bitter feelings. Judgmental terms like right and wrong would be avoided and phased out. They would have a more refined vocabulary and understand terms such as a closer approximation of reality. Their vocabulary would also be factually meaningful and not just a purely emotional expression. A relevant vocabulary will describe the situation factually. For example, the inclined ramp is too steep for elderly people will be said rather than an emotional remark like, a moron must have built that ramp. In other words, the child will learn that descriptive and constructive language is likely, more likely to improve the situation than outright criticism. Education will, become particip- um, I'm sorry, education will be participatory. Students would work cooperatively as teams. For example, if a class group were hiking through a wooded area and came to a stream, one of the children might say to both adults and peers, I have an idea. I'd like to hear what you think about it. With this exposure, children will listen and ask questions rather than being met with phrases such as, that will never work. Students and instructors could submit ideas to the class and test the validity of their proposals, receiving suggestions rather than just criticism. These young people would willingly interact with the environment, taking an active role in hiking, exploring, and investigating natural phenomena the environment would be structured to deliver only the best in nutrition and health. Most importantly, when confronted with an unfamiliar question or situation, not only would they know where to look for appropriate information, they would know the appropriate questions to ask and how to ask them. Most children in our culture do not learn to describe physical processes adequately because they do not have a vocabulary equal to their physical abilities. They are not encouraged to formulate such descriptions in their daily lives Therefore, they do not develop an appropriate descriptive language. There is an old truism that says, once once one can correctly state the problem, a solution is not far off. Sorry about that. When children grow up having a physical reference for the words they use, that will provide them with a more realistic understanding of the world and their relationship to it. Utilizing these methods, a child will gain skill in problem solving that may be utilized in different situations in the future. Rather than acting from an emotional or uninformed standpoint, they would ask, what is the nature of the situation, or what do we have here? This unique education will help children become creative and participatory members of society. Children would learn that it takes many experiments and a great deal of effort to solve problems. Through this process, they realize that although they may fail initially to achieve what they set out to do, this is an acceptable part of human experience. They would learn that in medical research and other fields, it sometimes takes thousands of unsuccessful experiments before arriving at a solution. Even experiments that fail often function as essential steps in the process of achieving a goal. Sometimes other discoveries emerge along the way, Children would learn not to get discouraged with failures and that they are an inherent part of all research and development. Few of our school books detail the long, tedious work required to invent an object like the lightning bulb. No single individual manages one great leap in technology or science without first taking several strides. Each invention is a result of a series of progressive refinements, one upon another. Every success results from the failures and successes that have preceded it. Unfortunately, all too often, our romantic notions and egos obscure this understanding. The serial progression of creativity can be easily verified if we examine the history of invention. This same process applies to the arts and sciences. Children will come to understand that no single entity, living or non-living, is self-activated. This concept is referred to as the mechanistic A mechanistic, sorry, point of view. For example, a ball does not simply roll down a hill. It is acted upon by gravity. The heat from the sun is generated by a nuclear furnace. This furnace is set in motion by immense pressure. A child will ask, what makes an airplane fly? As though there were a simple answer. They ask, is it the propeller? No, it requires an engine to turn a propeller. They reply, is it the engine? No, the engine requires fuel. They say, oh, is it the fuel? In other words, there are many interacting principles at work involving both aerodynamics and physics. All things are acted upon by resonant forces from a single cell to the cosmos in its entirety and, as noted previously, even human behavior. Children will learn that the assumption of a beginning or an end is is a fictitious assumption. This concept is a carryover from earlier civilizations' attempts to account for the nature of events in the physical world with very limited information. Our redesigned education would be free from the influence of more-bound institutions, corporate or self-interests, or any indoctrination of a political, national, or religious nature. Similarly, the educational system would be continuously seamless process, with the degree of each individual's curiosity enabling them to progress to the next level without grading. Such Such an education would not only emphasize science and human behavior, it would also provide students with the necessary and changing professions required to maintain social and individual growth and stability in a resource based economy. This education would enable students to engage constructively with all members of society and also have the ability to engage in international communication. Some examples of future professions are mathematics, nanotechnology, nuclear engineering, nuclear chemistry, automation, cybernetics, systems engineering. Systems Analysis, Remote Control Technology, 3D Virtual Photocopying, Design of a Plug-in Components, Computer-Aided Design and Engineering, micro machine, Electronic and Mechanical Systems, Motion Control, Photochemical Machining, Ocean Sciences, Automated Data Acquisition Systems, Mariculture Technology, Simulation Technology, Life Sciences, Ecology, Sociology, Behavioral Sciences, Advanced Plasma Technology industrial design, prefabrication technology, medical and bioengineering, nutrition and health, soil enhancement systems, recycling of waste products, space science, terraforming technology, behavioral sciences, the ability to read many, 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 many things over and over again, sorry, I have that straight now, and others for which we have no name or knowledge today. Other professions will disappear in a non-monetary resource-based economy banking, law, sales, advertising, investment brokering, real estate management, and others concerned primarily with the use of money, property, and debt. As the student progresses from the formative stage of development to the application phase, universities and colleges of the future would guide students to achieve skills relevant to an emergent society and also encourage them to experiment in ways that would solve the social problems that remain. In the lifelong process of education, I'm sorry, in the lifelong process of education. All age levels could live in cities that could be designed and operated as university cities. Universities today are designed to provide the most advanced opportunities to facilitate education in the arts, science, music, etc. The cities of the future would be an extension of this process for for fulfilling human needs. They would serve as as living universities while constantly updating information. Much education today consists of a high degree of specialization, which tends to give a personal, tu- person tunnel vision and a narrow perspective about the actual interrelationships of all physical phenomena. Today, it is even difficult for one schooled in sociology to communicate in depth with members of different professions. Students of the future would be encouraged to view the world in a more holistic manner. Accordingly, they would be able to converse intelligently across various disciplines. Children brought up in a practical working environment of cooperation, sharing, and understanding will absorb and learn concern for fellow human beings, reciprocating warmth and love from the people exponential to them. When the environment is intelligently and humanely managed, the system and the individual are mutual beneficiaries, each reinforcing and rewarding the other. In a resource-based economy, children will live in a world with values far different from today's. As a result of this education an environment they will possess a flexibility of um, attitude and mind that will enable them to evaluate new and different ideas the earlier the exposure to science with human concern the better prepared children will be to take their place in the cybernated world of the near future science and education when devoid of a social conscience or environmental and human concern are meaningless well that was the end of that chapter um once again, I have to say that's probably one of the most important chapters in this book, and it's largely because it talks about how, you know, human beings will be formed, you know, like what kind of people you will be and why. And I think that this is definitely a telling chapter about what will be majorly different. It has to do with just, you know, what happens not really later in life and so much as what happens when you're forming as a human being. So, Jem, let's test your connection and see if it's still as good as it was before. Do you have any comments on this chapter?
0: I do, I do. I think the connection is fine now.
1: Um,
0: Yeah, I think an awful lot of what Jack is talking about here, the kind of undercurrent is emotional intelligence. I think um, all of this um, that he, he speaks of is actually about, it's not just about the surface problems, you know, well, not problems, but the surface issues, but a lot of this will develop emotional intelligence. I think it's, you know, the key to clear and analytical thinking. Um, if a child is taught to feel well, then they can think well. Um, and, and to feel well, I suppose, is to um, how can I explain it? To to see things in a more precise manner, um, to, to to be very analytical of even the way they feel inside themselves. Um, to be taught those kinds of things, I do think, will be very, very, very important.
1: Well, I definitely, definitely, I definitely agree about that. And I would have to say, since I know you're also a parent, just like I am, um, I mean, can you imagine bringing up children, you know, with an educational system like that one? And, you know, how different do you think your children would be?
0: Wow. I I have a son who I think is already halfway into the Venus Project. Um, He they would both benefit so much. They would be different children. The things that they could even teach me, whereas I don't feel the education that children get today. I I fully believe, you see, that a child should be able to come home from school and teach their parents something. And my children, when they come home, they've nothing, you know, to bring, uh, to, uh, to, to enrich our home lives with. And that's not their own fault. It is very much to do with what they do at school. I ask them, you know, what did you do today? Oh, you know, nothing really. And that's just, that itself does tell you that the education system is wrong. If a child isn't enjoying it, then what is the point? There is absolutely no point in an education system that has kids waking up feeling that they don't even want to go to school. That in itself is an indicator that it's wrong.
1: Yeah, I definitely remember when I was a kid, not only did I not want to go, I wanted to get the hell out. I would count every minute until I was out the door. And it wasn't because I was stupid. Um, I mean, I only missed two on one of my science classes, um, you know, their tests. And um, yeah, But I just the whole system and the way it was designed, it was just like a whole lot of people who didn't want to be there, from the teachers to the students. And unfortunately, one of the other things you learn about the monetary system as it affects, actually, I'm hoping to be able to show this documentary at some point, but it's a PBS documentary, and it's called Declining by Degrees, Higher Education at Risk. And it talks about how our higher education systems that are largely basically affected by the profit motive in the monetary system are even worse. Um, I w- I'll get into that in a little bit. I want to go on to James. Um, what were your opinions on this chapter?
2: Well, to actually just to, to go on to what you were saying earlier on, I remember you were um, in the in the the uh, show that you had uh, Roxanne and Jack on. You actually went into how you you had basically been in some ways ostracised, in some ways just kind of. Well, you you said people had been beaten on you for having a, a large vocabulary and whatever whatever else. Like, that's an incredible symptom of an incredibly messed up educational system in which people can be can be treated that way for for something about themselves that's good like i i could i i found that incredibly interesting but um just on a general basis like when when we we talked about technology a few minutes ago um, the kind of the the, the the general kind of consensus was that people didn't understand technology to a degree that they could really comprehend what it was and i think that it comes down to pretty much all all faith-based idea systems it comes down to when you have an idea about anything about the sun you mentioned about everything it can it can be be corrupted by your own frame of reference which kind of comes down to this emotional um flawed kind of character character that you that you have been have been made to form so when you look at technology, you you have to expect kids in the future to essentially be able to um, to look at it with with eyes that have some understanding anyway to, as to how that technology came about, you know, and and that that situation would be eliminated immediately in that circumstance. So, um, I think it's it's just once again about us kind of mysteriorizing things that are 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 beyond our own capacity for understanding, really.
1: You know, um, to comment on what you were talking about about that, actually, that's a very common thing in the United States. It wasn't just unique to me, but um, yeah, uh, the, the the smart kids are the ones who get picked on. You know, um, oh absolutely,
2: I, I was the same. I was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. You know, I'm actually to this day, and I I I've, I I came out of like the the almost the, the last level, like the SAT. I'd imagine is what what it equates to in American terms. Yeah. Um, that level of education and I was I was uncomfortable because I didn't feel as though even in English class when I wanted to make a point about a particular uh, poem or, or, or we, we were doing Macbeth by Shakespeare um, any points on any of this sort of stuff you would feel like you would have to you know, I, it, might, it may show my personality um, add a swear word or something to us to essentially bring yourself down to the level of the um, the collective, and I think that that's incredibly insulting to people. To be honest, like I've I've come to realise that that from from what Bill Hicks had said at one stage about basically when he had been removed from the David Letterman show about how his material wasn't suitable for people for the David Letterman audience, and he went, "Well, I am part of the David Letterman audience. I am people. So are you saying it's not suitable for myself? You know." So I think it, it comes down to people not seeing one another as. As similar to they are so they kind of they they dumb things down or whatever else and i think people tend to be kind of against things for for the sake of the collective as opposed to their own opinion or things they don't understand once again getting in the way of their um their wanting to understand it is the fact that they kind of mysteriorize it and make it make it something something horrible or whatever else like people often mistrust intelligence and i think it's one of those things that happens in in schools is that the 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 less and i i don't equate uh, equate vocabulary to intelligence in many ways i just i just think that it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting point about it uh, as well as the fact that if somebody is um somebody is intelligent in school they'll band together with people who are intelligent in school in even even in terms of Linguistically intelligent, as opposed to mechanically intelligent or whatever, and these things will happen that way, so I think
1: well yeah, I mean real quickly, just you know to to emphasize on your point a little bit, um the fact that also just the way that the the glorification of the system, you know the science fair never receives anywhere near as much attention as say the football game, you know uh the science fair is nowhere near as important as the prom or you know the homecoming dance or any number of other things that we just don't really, you know, we don't really promote them. And, you know, and it's the other thing about it is that the school system seems to be utterly incapable of protecting kids who are being victimized for no reason other than doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I remember very distinctly the apprehension. You don't want to be the guy who raises his hand, you know, because then everybody in the class looks at you, you know, you're going to be in trouble for that. If you say something, they might be laughing at you or they might be punching you when you get out of the class because you're smarter than them. What kind of backwards backwards ridiculous stuff is that? That's one of the reasons why I'm really, really, really cautious about whether or not I'm going to homeschool my kids. I don't know if you guys can do that, you know, in in your country, but a lot of the people in the libertarian movement do that here, and it's largely because of situations like this. You know, they don't cultivate intelligent thinking like they should, and, you know, honestly, when kids are doing things which, to me, should make them an enemy of the state, if you're going to try to enforce stupidity on my kids... You know, you don't need to be around my kids. You know, and um, we have another panelist, obviously, hasn't had a chance to talk, so we got to make sure we, you know, we do that. Hey, Shane, so come back on us. Uh, tell us what you thought of this chapter.
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Neil. Uh, yeah, I think um, education, especially uh, particularly in the early stages of human development, it's one of the biggest contributors to a child's see values. Everyone has, obviously, see values. You learn from the environment around you, and education is one of like if not the well-to-parents, obviously, but education is one of the top contributors to this. So it really shapes you and in, in a lot of respects. It can shape your direction in later life. So it's it's a very, very important chapter. And um, education as well to kind of reiterate how important it is um, in colonial times, maybe not even so long ago. Governments banned education for certain groups. They didn't want to think for themselves too much. They actually didn't allow them to be educated. So that kind of tells you the power of education. If you have an educated, uh, public they're more difficult to you know kind of enforce your will on them so in that respect it's extremely important as well. Um, Education I personally feel anyway education today does not really increase a person's frame of reference in a lot of respects. Uh, You just I, I don't know about the American schooling system I can only go from what I know but the Irish school system—you tend to just repeat what you've been told. You don't actually learn it. You know, it, it's just a series of repetition. If you have a good memory, you, you'll do well in school. It's not critical thought; it's just uh, repetition. And in a lot of respects, it's also just preparation for the work. You know, for the work environment. You know, um, you know, again, that's 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 useless. You know, it doesn't teach critical thought. Uh, and another problem I, I kind of find with the education system, as regards my own education, again, I can only talk about it from my own experience. Is like. There's not really many alternative viewpoints expressed in education from different cultures. An example of that is when I went to school, um, we were taught Catholicism. And I remember uh, we were taught by a nun and, you know, it was fine. And I, my mother had studied um, comparative religion for years, so I knew a little bit about other cultures and what people believed. And I remember, you know, I asked, I said, well, not not everyone believes this. And I got in trouble, you know. So. I think education is, you know, it shouldn't be so linear and rigid. You know, there's a lot of people in the world, and they've all contributed. So, in that respect, I find education to be very linear. It doesn't really increase the frame of reference. It doesn't take into account culture. As again, I, I can only speak from my own experience. Right. And um, another thing I found as well is that my children today—they get in trouble when they give the wrong answer. That—that's insane. You know, that—that that, it should be a good thing. You know, that you can correct you know you can tell them what, what you know you know and you get in trouble you know so which actually makes children not question things in some respects you know what i mean it makes them not want to actually you know raise their hand and give an answer you know it should be encouraged for people to express their ideas and try and correct it so You know, uh, I have a problem with it in that respect as well. Also, the other thing that tends to happen is the older the people get in school, the higher the dropout rates, you know. And a lot of this is because it is preparing you for work. So, you know, people just want to get out and work. You know, the incentive in a lot of respects is not there. If you can get a job uh, for good money but what you know already, you know, you're not going to hang around in school. You're not going to keep expanding your frame of reference. Even if you look on college websites in Ireland, most of them will just tell you, you know, what fields of employment you can get after you complete a certain course, you know. I, I think once people, once children are educated, when they understand the symbiotic connection between all things, generalists will be far more important than specialists. You know, like you. Uh, what I mean by that is, when people understand all things are connected, it's kind of. Whilst it is good, you know, it's obviously nice to be to understand a particular topic very well. You have to understand the domino effect of of one thing onto another. So you're going to want to know more about everything, and that way you can understand the effect of what you do to other people. You know, so I think generalists will will become a lot more important as education progresses. You know, it's it, it, again, even the more educated people are, it's harder to get people to go to war when they're educated. The more people know, the less likely they are to even hurt other people. You know, it, 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 the statistics on more proof that. You know what I mean? Uh, as regards children as well, you know, people educate children in a lot of respects. They 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 kind of dumb them down, and in, in some respects, the, the education system. Like, children love natural phenomenon. You know, if you cho- show a child the aurora borealis, you know, the northern lights phenomenon, where the gases are released and it c- gives all the lovely colours. Uh, kids love stuff like that. You know, I, I I find that you show kids like stuff like that. They're really interested. They want to know, and they're really learning. They're not just watching a Disney cartoon and vegetating for two hours on the set, you know, on the couch watching it. I find that I kind of think, as well, as regards to the Irish education system, that it's not seen. Education is not seen as a tool that should be improved, you know, for the benefit of the children. It's held in a rigid fashion. It's not open to questions. It's not open to change. It's like this is the criteria. This is what you will be told. I think that's wrong, you know. Uh, also, the more educated a society is, the better. The easier it is to transcend like perceived differences between us like race, you know national differences, social differences, color, you know all that. It, it's it, the more educated you are, the easier it is to transcend these barriers you know e- education basically what I'm saying is educational education to me is to de- it should be geared towards trying to develop critical analysis because that's the only way we actually improve is if we look at what we have and try and make it better, not hold on to it and say no this is the right way. You know, and when people, I, I find with people, generally speaking, the more educated people are, the more they realize they don't actually know and the more they want to know. You know, so a lot of people think that, you know, well, this education system, it, it, it's, um, it's like fascism or whatever and it takes away creativity. That's ridiculous. The more books you read, the more books you want to read, you know, and that, again, the, the Women's mm-hmm. Rights um, March in, in America, as far as I recall, Shaq talking about it when they're at the libraries. And um, the, the, the booksellers, you know, the, the people who own the bookstores, you know, they threw eggs at them and shouted at them thinking they put them out of business. But they sold more books than before. So, you know, it's you know when people kind of say the argument that it's regimented regimentated and, you know, it, it, stuff like that, it really doesn't hold up. The more educated people are, the more they want to learn, the more creative they become. You know, they don't hold rigid values. So I think, I think personally, it's, it's probably... One of, certainly, if not the most important thing, is to get right first time around for the Venus Project. Definitely.
1: You know, and, you know, I would also point out that, that you know, I, I couldn't help myself but to point out the various things that kind of debunk the theory that the Venus Project would lead to the New World Order or that in any way would benefit a global elite, you know, some small group of people running the shots. That would never happen. I mean, you know, it, when you think about this, what did he just say? In the book, he states that, you know, children of our future will ask and inquire and question everything. You know, how do you get away, you know, with, um, if that's the case, how do you get away with, you know, trying to say, well, we're going to control your world because of X reason, you know, or because of this race being evil, you know. I mean, if you say, for example, you know, the Nazi, his National Socialist Movement wouldn't last 30 seconds, you know, in a Venus Project society. Some guy would get up there and say, you know, will hate the Jews. That's why our our lives are so bad. If we just hate the Jews somewhere, everything will be okay. Surrender all of your rights. Don't worry, I've got everything going here. You know. you know, critical thinking would never allow that to take place. And this is one of the honestly, I think that this chapter in particular, of all the other chapters, really uh, sets about and destroys any argument of you know of what, what what the Venus Project is really all about, being anything but personal liberty and not so, just liberty of what you're allowed to do, but of what you're allowed to think and the kind of person you're allowed to become.
3: That's, uh, I agree with you 100%, Neil. And again, as I said earlier on, that governments, totalitarian governments, if you look at like the apartheid system, uh, South African um, apartheid system when it was in power, they tried not to educate. They, they tried to ban schools. They brought out all sorts of different laws to try and make it difficult to educate the public. If you that that's that's across the board. You know, if you look at the British Empire, they did the same thing in India. They did the same thing, in all, you know, all over the world. You, yeah, an, a well-educated public is much harder to to control. You know, in a you know, if you are trying to control, they're much harder to control. You can't do it. You need yep. you you cannot control a well-educated. I mean, Sir Tony Ben was talking about, I don't know if you know Sir Tony Benn, he was talking about this, and he said a well-educated, healthy, happy public cannot be controlled by totalitarian means. It doesn't work. It never has. and never will. That's why, you know, the education trap has been set up, you know, by you know the British Empire did it, you know, they tried to block education. and give a really minimal form of education, you know, where people thought they were educated and were just happy to accept it. So it doesn't, you know, I mean, it, history of Anyone who reads back in history will see that that has been tried. It does not work. It never has. It never will. An educated public cannot be duped. It does work.
1: Right. Now, we're down to the last two minutes of the actual live show. Uh, the recording will go on after this, and I know Jem wants to make some points. I want to say before we go off live to check out www.zeitgeistireland.com uh, to check out the Zeitgeist chapter in Ireland. Everybody's welcome to check it out. Um, not just the, you know, not just the, the fortunate people who get to live in Ireland, us unfortunate people who have to live in the United States, we can go there too. And I definitely will be. Um, but, uh, to those of you who are listening, uh, we will be going on just a little bit more to let people, you know, get out their points because that chapter was much louder or longer. For those of you who are listening now, if you tune into the archive and fast forward it to the end, you'll be able to get to the last, uh, last bit of recording. Blog talk will actually record past another hour or so. To those of you who are uh, um, going to listen, that'll be great to those of you who can't, thank you for listening to B radio. We are still looking for donations to stay up this month. You can get to those on my MySpace. I only need about 80 to 90 bucks a month to stay on the air. Um, if you see that I've gotten more than that, don't donate. Uh, wait till next month. So um, that being the case now, actually, um, we're now moving on, and Jem, uh, I know you had some things you wanted to say about education, so bring it up. If she's still on the call. Yeah, sorry
0: about that. I was muted. <laughs> <used to it. laughs> I um I volunteer in my kids' local school um because of a lot of education cutbacks at the moment. Um, arts basically was was you know starting to be um, I suppose phased out of of everyday schooling. It was going to be a once a week that they would, you know, the whole class would, would get together and do some kind of art project. And I started maybe two years ago um, volunteering. And what I noticed is that over the, just the two years, um, art is incredibly rigid here in Ireland in schools. And I've spoken to a couple of teachers in this school and I've asked is this across the board. And they've said, Absolutely. It's across the board, Well, basically what is happening is, is that um, children are basically getting one art lesson a week, um, and it is very structured, it's on the curriculum. If it's Halloween, they have to, you know, cut out a ghost, all that kind of rubbish that just makes absolutely no sense. The reason I'm passionate about this is because I believe art helps develop the conceptual ability of a child. And without that, to see into the future and to be able to even imagine a different world than we have today um, is, is going to be near and impossible for some children. Um, some children can't even pick up a... I mean, we, we were making pots out of clay. Some of them couldn't do it. They were having problems making clay pots. I was just astonished, absolutely astonished. But then when I looked at it, from the outside a little bit more, I said to myself there 's no wonder these children are made to color in the lines no less than five times a day from the day they start school, and they have to choose correct colors they can 't even go and and you know color in somebody's face rainbow colors and it 's um very upsetting and it's incredibly limiting and apparently art again in schools over here in Ireland is going to be knocked down and down and down again so basically where we would have had let's say three or four different art sessions a week um three of them on the curriculum and one of them just a big free for all which I believe every child needs I mean they need access to the best materials that they can get to make anything they want to allow their brain to switch off and going to that, you know, creative kind of mode, they're not getting that now. Slowly but surely, children are actually being taken one by one to the back of the class to do art on an individual basis. Now, that in itself, I believe, is part of the reason why children are not able to ask the right questions.
1: You know, that's definitely uh, something that scares me more and more, um and the fact that art is is going that route you know is is definitely something that's you know i don't think that people recognize how important it is and it points to the fact that we're moving towards a society where essentially people who are not lucky enough to have a lot of money are being regulated down to the role that the the higher part of society would like you to play which is to be an obedient worker incapable of critical thinking uh, there's a very good part of a uh, bit that George Carlin, uh, you know, may he rest in peace, did about that very point was that, you know, uh, essentially there are people who own us. You know, uh, the corporations own us. And, you know, they, the reason that's why education is bad is because they don't want people who are capable of critical thinking. They want obedient workers, people who are just smart enough to do the kinds of mind-numbing jobs, you know, and stupid enough not to realize what's going on. That's the kind of people that the society wants to spit out. And that's the reason why I, especially when you think about it, that that attitude about tech, about education only being a tool to facilitate you know, uh, the system, Okay, that attitude is perpetuated by the monetary system. That's what motivates them to do this. Why would they want to control your education to make you stupid so that you'll just work in the factories or do whatever they need you to do? For the same reasons that, the, you know, that you know, our other panelists have already pointed out, education is really control of people you know, um, and essentially it, it makes you who you are in a lot of ways. You know, we don't like to acknowledge this because we would prefer to think that we have free will at all times, but we are formed by our environment and education at a young age is critical to that. Critical. And, you know, if we don't uh, essentially go out of our way to make ourselves into free-thinking individuals, we won't be. There was a very good movie called Dead Poet Society. Um, it was about, like, a, a, basically a rich, ritzy school, private school. And one of the teachers was very um, anti-establishment, very individual, and wanted his students to be able to express themselves as individuals. And he got fired for that you know because that's not what they needed they needed the regimented spoon fed you know Yale and Harvard and Princeton stuff that supposedly makes you an acceptable human being and to me you know that is the system that is holding us back and i you know when you look at the way that we talk about education in the venus project you're talking about total cultivation of creative independent thinking to challenge anything that you don't you don't understand To, to, if you see a flaw in something, to be open and honest about it, to be able to raise your hand and ask the teacher questions or even correct the teacher if the teacher is wrong. These are things that are just unheard of in our current education. Now, Shane wanted to make a point. Go ahead, Shane.
3: Yeah, I'd uh, I'd just like to recommend to anybody who's uh, a listener or downloads this if they'd like to understand how um, human values are shaped and formed in early life, I'd just like to recommend a couple, uh, two books to them, if that's all right, V. Go ahead. Um, there's a book um, called Person to Person, The Problem of Being Human by Carl C. Rogers, and that book will detail how you take on in later life many of the opinions you think are your own, but they're actually not. You've learned them, you know, you may think that they're yours. I've, I've actually wrote an, art- I wrote an article as well, um, the to the Venus Project said it was okay, so I, I, for me to put it up on the side, it's called uh, Human Value System, it's on the Irish Psycho Ireland website as well, it's a, a, a more simple breakdown if people uh, can't afford the book or whatever, but also another book by Victor Frankl as well, will talk about human values and um, how they're formed, and uh, both, both, these, these, both of these are renowned in, 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 in different fields, of a local therapist, one is psychoanalysis. Um, both of these people are renowned in their fields, um, and they, they both uh, immensely stress the importance of education and um, what a impact it has on people. You know, and a lot of the they both kind of the fact a lot of the standardised tests as well. They, they don't really represent education; they just represent memory in a lot of respects. You know, the, the, you know, you're not, you know, it, 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 in a lot of ways, like even the fact that they divide up classrooms. Um, if you have too many people of a certain age and you, you base them on what the current education system considers intelligence, you know, I mean, what is intelligence? You know what I mean? It, that's a ridiculous concept, you know, um, ability to remember or ability to think are two different things, you know. So I, I, just for people who don't really understand what I'm talking about, when I was talking earlier about human values, i just like to recommend them books to them because um, it would probably give a more easy breakdown than I could.
1: Oh definitely. Um, you know, and I a book actually that I read, um, it kinda comes from um an, an alternative thing, um, is that uh it's called uh, it's called uh Phoenix oh, I think it was called Phoenix, uh oh man, I can't believe I can't remember this. Uh basically it was a book by Robert Anton Wilson. Okay. Um and it's oh Prometheus Rising was the name of the book. And not only does it talk about how education forms who you are, it talks about the various stages of your development and when, in which different circuits of your brain essentially are imprinted at different stages of your development, you know, how, and how that impacts who you become later in life. Um, you know, if you're nurtured when you're young, you know, at the right stages, then you'll be more healthy in those ways. If you're, you know, if, you're, if you're nurtured also in your relationships at a certain stage, that will impact everything your first sexual experience impacts the way you regard that for pretty much the rest of your life. You know, essentially, these things imprint on your brain, and they can be overcome, but it's also, you know, this happens at all stages of your development, and that's why you need to be very careful about what you you expose yourself to. Your brain can become chemically addicted to anything um, that that happens to it. Uh, Like, I was studying about, you know, because of difficulties in relationships in my life, I studied about, um, you know, people who essentially were sociopathic and what their effects were like in relationships. And they would essentially create like a roller coaster in your life where they were good to you and then, they, you know, they were good to you, really good to you, like, you know, just great to you. And then they would be bad to you, bad to you, bad to you. And about the time that you're getting sick of that, well, then they'd be good to you again. And this like chemical um, effect, you know, on your brain would cause you to get to the point where you relished in that, where you enjoyed it and more to the point, If you don't have it, you feel that something's wrong. After I got out of the relationship with the person who was basically doing that to me, because, yes, it does happen to men at the hands of women um, sometimes, uh, basically I tried to get into normal relationships for a while, and I didn't understand why, but there was something critically missing from my relationships. Okay, And... um, Basically, I eventually I read that report and then I went, wow, this is what it is. This new girl I'm dating isn't doing that to me. You know, she's just being so nice all the time, and and I don't get it. You know, that that it's like, wow, something's missing. Oh, now I know what's missing. It's it's the lying and the cheating and the manipulation. That's what's missing. I don't want that stuff anyway. You know, and it took me a long time to get over that. You know, and, and the same thing is basically true about just about every aspect of our lives. You know, it's also about entertainment. Um, this actually comes from that. I, I believe I told you guys earlier that when I when I visited Ireland, one of the bed and breakfasts that we visited was actually had, a, had an Irish teacher, um, you know, like a school teacher, and she said that one of the things that was bothering her was that her students were getting saturated. That's what she called it, saturated with the Game Boys and the, uh, the video games and all that, and I don't think all video games are bad, and I play some myself. It's a question of you have to be very careful about what role they play in your life, because like I know friends of mine who that is their life, that that's it, that's all they are. They they play a video game and that's it. You know they have no social skills outside of that. You know like they exist as a persona in a video game, and that is the extent of their you know their relationship. A lot of these online games, World of Warcraft. Um, You know, the games like this do this. These people don't really exist outside of video games. That's when it can become a detriment. And when you try to take these computers away from these people, they freak out. I mean, I actually had, for example, one of my roommates was like this, okay, and he stopped paying rent for a while. So in order to get his attention, I unplugged his Internet (laughs) because it was the only way to wake him up. And let me tell you, man, that guy came out of his room, and he was really mad at me. Okay, he flipped out. He actually ended up moving out because I told him I wasn't going to turn his internet back on until he gave me my rent. (laughs) rent. Uh, No, no, he he just moved out and said, screw you and left. (laughs) But at least I didn't have this guy leeching off of me anymore. Uh, But the point I was trying to get at was that he basically lived his entire life in the game Age of Conan. That was his entire life. He didn't go out. He didn't have any friends that he talked to outside of Age of Conan, and that's all he did. Um, and I, and I eventually came to understand that essentially anything that you do that creates any kind of stimulation, good or bad, that's what's important, will eventually become something that your brain becomes chemically addicted to, and it will try to repeat these things. This is why you have like a battered wife syndrome. It's an excellent example of that. You know, what they're used to is going home and getting beat up. You know, I, in fact, one of my former girlfriends, when I met her, she had a black eye You know, um, we went out and she ended up dumping me inside of the first month and I had treated her like gold and I didn't realize what I had done wrong. And then I, well, I hadn't really done anything wrong. The guy that she went went out with after me put her in the hospital and she ended up staying with that guy. And that's when, you know, it all started to click into place that basically, you know, her concept of what love was was brought on by her environment when she was a kid. You know, um, and unfortunately, this this sort of thing happens in a lot of things. Education is something that is relevant to this because the environment in which you learn in um, essentially will forever have an imprint on you. Like, you'll have a lot of people that say, man, I don't like listening to that guy. He sounds like a school teacher, you know, or don't lecture me. You've ever heard that before? You know, hey, I don't want to hear a lecture. You know, um, there was a really funny... Uh, a series of commercials that people brought out um, about where they had this guy who was very good at droning on and sounding like a really boring teacher. You know, know note I said boring teacher. There's a whole archetype to that, that essentially makes learning and um, intellectualism something that is unfashionable. Um, You know, and that's, that stuff is all essentially taught to you along the way, you know, and a lot of people don't recognize that. And when it comes to education, particularly at the young age, when kids want to learn things, that's the time when you need to do that. Like right now, with my children, I don't let my children watch Spongebob. I don't let them watch oh anything that's not educational. And as a result, lo and behold, when they want to watch TV, they ask me to watch Big Bird because they want to watch Sesame Street. You know, they want, you know when they sing songs to me, they don't sing annoying Spongebob songs. They sing 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, they they and I'm saying I'm not saying that there aren't some educational programs that are better than others, but you get my point. That's the age yeah, when kids wanna be stimulated, and that's the age that you need to take advantage of as a parent, you know, and that's why and that's what it was for me. When I was a kid, that's what I watched. I watched Sesame Street, the Electric Company, and then my vocabulary got so good, before I even got into the first grade I was watching Nova. And I was really interested in the stars and the planets and you know, all sorts of things. I was also immensely interested in robots when I was a kid. And now, I, I mean, I basically, I, my education was so terrible for me, I, I didn't get anywhere in any of those things that I wanted to do. Um, I just, I hated school so much, I just wanted to get out. I mean, it didn't help, mind you, that the school I went to was in a very bad neighborhood. I mean, we had metal detectors on our doors we had gang fights in the, you know, in the parking lot that involved automatic weapons. I mean, I did not go to school in a nice place. To, to put it bluntly, <laughs> carrying school books home would be detrimental to my health if I happened to need to run, especially in a school where I told you, you know, I used a big word, so therefore that makes me subject to violence. You know, um, but that's basically uh, what I was getting at. And I want to thank all of you guys for being on. I know that it's like probably midnight or something where you live. <laughs> and i really appreciate you guys taking the time to, to, to be on here i you know i i did something different and brought the show on a little earlier for you next time i hear Adzy, he's going to be like hey why didn't you do that for me because he lived in ireland and in order to be on my show he had to be up really late at night um and uh thanks again to each one of you did any of you have anything else you wanted to say
3: uh, well, I'd just um, like to thank you as well for uh, having us on your show, um, Neil. And again, I'd like to just reiterate to anybody listening, um, all, all you guys are welcome to, you know, please drop in and visit us at www.siteguysstirling.com. You know, it's, it is it is few Irish chapter, but we know we'd love to have other people on and get their input and their ideas as well. So please come and visit us. You're more than welcome. We'd love to have you guys on. Any
1: closing yeah, things Yeah, thank
0: you very, you? very much, Neil, for having us. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure.
1: Excellent, and uh Shane or James, uh, anything further before we're done
2: no uh, v i'll just I'll just thank you again um appreciate the chance to number one get a bit of access to a book I don't have yet, and uh, next of all, I'll just t- thank you and, and I wish you all the best with the future and I'm, I'm hoping to uh, get the credit card sorted out so I can donate a bit to the upkeep. I had a great time. Thank yeah, that would be
1: great. And um, I didn't really push this very much during the show, but to tell all the listeners, um, I'm at $30 of donations this month out of the 80 to 100 that I need. Um, if uh, you guys can donate, please do. You can do so on my MySpace. Um, do not donate past $100, or you know, actually, I can get away with 90. Don't don't donate past 90 because I don't need any more than that. If I ever do, I'll let you know. Uh, the bill goes to paying for my um, internet bill, um, some of my equipment. Sometimes I take money out for that, like if my headsets go bad or whatever, but that's very rare. Uh, my Skype credit is very important because otherwise I can't call on the blog talk and I can't have guests like Jock Fresco and Roxanne unless I have a Skype account going. Um, and I really appreciate all the support that I've gotten so far. Um, I'm not making a profit on this by any means. Um, and I thank all of you for tuning in and for sharing this. I really appreciate the feedback that I've been getting. You guys definitely keep me, you know, uh, doing this. Um, it'd be very frustrating to live as an activist who can't really do very much uh, because I can't leave the house as often because I'm essentially the, the the stay-at-home dad. I I watch the kids, so. Um, getting out to some of the events and things like I when I on Z Day, I was sitting at my computer, um, and yeah, that's how bad it was. I, there was nothing else I could do, I couldn't get out to go do anything even locally. Um, so, um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, end the blog talk call. I'll be on with you guys a little bit longer to, to you know, talk off the air. Thanks again for everybody, everybody for tuning in. and I hope you enjoyed this edition of V Radio.
2: Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks very much. Goodbye.
1: Thank you.